my goodness. All right, today is, <laughs> what day is it? August 17th, 2023. Is it a day or is it a day? Is it Thursday? Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Whew, does that tell you how today's gone? It's actually not been bad. It's just been long. All right, so um, I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buckle down. I've been neglecting some work because, you know, i got to get some money somehow. So we have a four-hour and like 35-minute podcast today. Um, not counting this. Anyway, so we go on a marathon. Uh, we've got Albie. He joins us. Uh, everyone joins us. Uh, Steph, Chris, everyone. Um, so we start out talking about just vapid philosophy, right? Uh, so, you know, Jesus, that's important to us. But instead of that, let's set Jesus aside because people want to talk about anything other than Jesus. Um, when you just talk about Jesus over and over, they get bored and leave or, you know, shriek and burst into flames. Or Anyway, so they're like, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do you know what that means? What does that mean? What does that mean? So I, I make some points about why I think that is foolish to go down that road. Anyway, then uh, people will, uh, kind of a continuation of yesterday's podcast, people will talk about how, you know, uh, why do certain why do Christians fo focus on certain sins? And it's like, well, there's another layer to this. So on the surface, it may look like they're pointing out certain sins, while they're really the crux of it is addressing a sin that everyone's overlooking. So, for example, if like I mean, it's in the name, Pride Month, like how they they block down cities for like a week, and you know, shove their sexuality in the faces of people who may disagree with that lifestyle. Well. Besides Christians disagreeing with that lifestyle, depending on, you know, if it's like homosexual relationships or fornication or, wh or whatever it is, um, the Bible says that's sin, so Christians disagree with that. But maybe the reason Christians push back, and it seems like more about that than other stuff, is because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's in front of our faces. It's really hard to ignore. So, and on top of that, it's not just like, hey, we're doing what the Bible calls sin. No big deal. Just, you know, we'll believe how we believe. You believe how you want to believe. But when it's like thrown in our faces and they're like, it's pride. Woohoo. And people are running up and down the street naked and, you know, stuff like that. It's very hard to ignore, but it's not just the sexuality part that, that we're focusing on. It's that they're so prideful, which is a sin in and of itself that everyone ignores. It's like, so before we even get to, like, you know, sex stuff, it's just the arrogance, the flagrant, prideful behavior. Like, oh, your Bible thinks something's a sin? Well, who cares about that? Woohoo! We're proud about it. Um, versus someone that's like, oh, you know, I respect your beliefs. Your Bible calls that a sin. I disagree. I'm just going to quietly, you know, do what your Bible calls a sin. No big deal. I'm just, don't worry about me. I won't worry about you. At least then it would be like, okay, well, now you've just got one sin we're dealing with instead of, like, a prideful sin on top of that. So... You know, like, I think I was it today or yesterday, I don't even remember. But, you know, if someone, like, wanted to have, like, a straight unmarried sex and throw, have, like, you know, shut down the roads and streets and cities for that for a month, that's what the church should be focusing on. So, anyways, it's not really the church's fault. I mean, you know, we're, we're giving what we're getting. Like, I'm speaking on behalf of all churches. But, you know, if you'd like the church to focus on a different sin, make a loud, proud spectacle of that sin, and I bet the church will follow. Um, I mean, Jesus, that's... Shouldn't be that hard to draw a conclusion. Okay, best evidence for Christianity? Come on, what is it? Five, four, three, two, one. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Um, okay, and then going to the churches in Revelation, is this the, like the, the churches mentioned in Revelation, or those literal churches? Uh, should those be churches considered an age? Do these ages extend into now? Is it both or one? Um, anyway, we talk about that a little bit. And then there's just too much to mention. It's four and a half hours. So we go on a whole host of topics. I don't even remember it all. Um, it, it has been a super, super long day. It was like a marathon. So you, if you have nothing else to do over the weekend or whatever, click play and let this thing go. Anyway, if you'd like to check out the Ask a Christian book, it's on Amazon. Link's in the description. You can buy a t-shirt, coffee mug, whatever. The link is in the podcast description. 
All right. Take care, everyone. Have an awesome day. See you all later. I am out of here. Before uh, Rab actually convinced people that uh, tying millstones around their necks and throwing them into uh, the sea is a good idea, um, let me just say hi to Xbox and Floyd real fast. Welcome, hey, my Google Plus people. How's morning, it going, guys? guys? It's been a while. And Floyd, how about you? How are you doing? It's been a little bit. Good. Fine. Thank you. Are you still kicking around in a clubhouse, or are you just uh, occasionally flying by? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do clubhouse uh, frequently now. Oh, okay. Do you host your own uh, own stuff, or just get into like um, other rooms and such? No, I, I, I just jump around. Is uh, religion still a thing, or are you like like philosophy or science? I think you're more like philosophical, right? If I remember. Um. Yeah, I, I I do mostly like uh, Bible critiques, um, you know, critical uh, critical method on you know biblical exegesis, things like that. We do that, a stream on on Saturdays that that Floyd pops in on every now and then. It helps us out so, uh, through oh. YouTube. And hey, Lou. By the way, what's up? I forgot you and you and Marquise. I skipped over you guys. How are you doing? Very no, good. Just coming up to see if uh, got a little time. So what up? Hey, me and hey, Lou and Marquise. What's going all, on? Uh, we've all converted to Scientology in the last five minutes. All three of us are now Scientology. I mean, I'm don't, really giving everyone a chance to bring. Don't you put that ilk on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> don't you put that ilk on me, Ricky? I mean, I'm really giving everyone a chance to shift the topic. Otherwise, uh, you know, like. I guess Satan should be your god because he's cool. Is the topic uh, that's the one to beat? Well, so I did want to give you guys a chance. <laughs> I did want to throw in there, uh, you know, in between Rab and Caleb's exchange, um, there's a, a cool book called America's Four Gods, uh, published by Oxford University Press. Who's the author? Uh, Paul Royce, I think, and Christopher Bader. Uh, America's Four Gods, which establishes a little of what Caleb is talking about in terms of from just the a priori sort of theistic view, what we'd expect a God who has any kind of affinity towards good to be. And it, it, it basically divides America specifically uh, for um, a conceptualization of God into a, it's not a, it, it's basically a graph with four quadrants, uh, but a, a plane, that's what you would call it. It's not a spectrum. It'd be like a plane. It divides it into four planes um, and there's whatever intersectionality between uh, four different characteristics, whether it's authoritative, benevolence, um, uh, critical, or distant, right? So they're going to be split up, you know, in between, you know, uh, critical and distant. Uh, it's definitely going to be like a spectrum of involvement or an axis of involvement, if you will, if we're talking about a plane. Um, and then benevolence versus authoritative is going to be a spectrum of... I don't know, patience or morality, however you'd want to, you know, uh, articulate that. But how you're, you know, conceptualizing a God that is inclined to create, right? Um, a creator God who's all powerful and is necessarily by definition of being God in this sense, an all powerful God is necessarily perfect, is necessarily consistent, is necessarily non-contradictory, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to fall in the, in the lines of involved. He's going to be involved and he's going to be like sort of in the middle, not super extreme. 
He's going to be involved. He's going to be benevolent. He's also going to be authoritative. And he's going to be, while eminent, he's also transcendent. He's not going to be doing every single thing by hand like everybody's little puppets. So he's not totally involved in the sense that he's doing everything, but he's not totally removed either in the sense that he's like, you know, hey, I created everything. Now everybody, you know, big experiment. Let's see what happens. Roll the dice. It's not that either. He's like somewhere in the middle where he's, you know, a perfect blend, a perfectly, necessarily perfectly uh, blended conceptualization of authority, benevolence, distance, and involvement. Um, I just wanted to lend that. You can look at that in America's Four Gods by, um, who are the authors again? I said it, Christopher Bader and Paul Froese, F-R-O-E-S-E. That's oh, yeah, all. Apostle, if I, uh, then I do have a switch of topics then. Um, to go into this, and it kind of goes into his perfect blend of involved. So, Apostle, if you had happened to be standing either a year ago or so outside the school in Uvalde when the shooter was running in, would you have stopped the shooter? Oh, this is yesterday all over again. It is? Oh, I missed yesterday's on this. My bad. Then I'll stop. If it's already oh, wait, been, if, we, if we've already done it. Wait, you, if we you already didn't there, raise this topic yesterday? I don't believe I was here yesterday. Oh, God, there's someone else. I thought it was you. Um, raised the exact same apologies. question. It must have been in one of the. My apologies. Wow. My apologies. I, I will. I will back away. Mass shooting. That's not. I know. I am sorry. I am uh, sorry. I will not do it again. If we've already done it a couple of times, I won't run this. Oh, I honestly thought it was exactly you. <laughs> well, Nate, Chris, what were the? I mean, if you if you care to share, you know, based on your infallible memory and such. Nate, oh Chris, crap! Could you it share was, what it the... was, yeah, it was Andrew, and it was about abortion. <laughs> Oh, okay. But yeah, so it was, it was kind of like, correct if I'm wrong, Rob, because it's similar, but maybe not the same. But it's basically about like, you know, the abortion one yesterday was, you know, if you if you saw someone like murdering and torturing a baby on the sidewalk, would you do anything to stop it? Everyone's like, yeah, sure. They're like, great. Basically, why don't you like, you know, shut down abortion clinics, like apparently by force, even if necessary, screw man's laws. And um, the, um, anyway, so that was yesterday. So I imagine today was, hey, if you saw Uvalde and you had a chance to stop the shooter, would you? And everyone would be like, yeah. I'd be like, well, why didn't God? Right. And then, you know, and, and I would just say, like, you know, to hand wave this away, butterfly effect. There's there's no way around it because nobody knows. There's so many inconceivable ideas well, that if you prevent one act of bad, is that going to bring about the apocalypse? Because, like, instead of one shooter killing uh, a few people in Uvalde, you're going to save 20 of the next shooters who are uh, going to, you know, kill hundreds of people. And you don't know that. So, like, we, we did have this conversation well, that must have been like a few two days, days ago. ago. Yeah. Okay, so two so, days. No, but, so but, we've had yeah. this every single every like the last yeah. three days. This is like the trinity of this question. <laughs> but but the thing about that butterfly question though, like it really kind of punched the issue there because God not doing it is a good thing. You doing it is a good thing. You stopping yeah. the shooter is a good thing. God not stopping the shooter is a good thing. That's kind of strange that like I don't I understand. Like so, that, is it I possible? Can, is it possible that you are thwarting the will of God if you do it? But God. But allowing it to happen is actually a good, like, this is a weird, weird. Well, not really. It's, uh, hang on. I, I want Marquis yeah. to explain in a second, but it's not unlike, it's not unlike the gospel, right? Like, you, you know, if, if God is ultimately going to save whoever God knows he's going to save, um, and our job is to go tell everyone. So are we just wasting our breath or trying to thwart the will yes. of God by preaching the gospel yes. to people who will never believe it? And God really yes. knows already if we're wasting our time. So, I mean, that would be the better question to ask because that traces it more well, to the root. But still, there's no. Well, that's Chris's um, answer, right? That's a Calvinist answer. Well, well no, that's not a Calvinist answer. Oh, boy. OK, Marquise, explain this. 
Calvinist Marquise. <laughs> Calvinist Marquise. Don't put that ilk on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, you know I love you, bro. Um, so he's, he's, I know, he's I know you step, do, step, my, uh, step my provisionist friend. <laughs> Chris is my uh, my redheaded uh, step cousin. Um, so the way I would get to this is it it also has to do Rav with um the roles. Right, the 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 niche I'm in in the microcosm of you know our conceptualization of reality, and then God, who is transcends reality, is the literal source progenitor of reality. Right, that distinction and role is going to make a massive difference because God necessarily knows everything. Right, can't be infinite without having infinite knowledge. That kind of is a prerequisite. Right, so. Regardless of what we're going to say, like like what we could pull or deduce from the Bible, just going back to this sort of a priori, these are the things God would have to be if God exists as God, right? He's got to be infinitely knowledgeable. I'm ignorant about that, that part. Yeah. Can, can yeah. I get an explanation real quick, if you don't mind, Rob? Well, wait, I, and I just want a clarification on the knowing everything at all times, otherwise he couldn't do anything, or like he has to be omniscient. Does that mean he knows everything he will do and he can't not do everything that's been foretold? So is God just a mechanism because everything's been determined? There is nothing God can do now because he's going to do everything? Much like Elijah, Lord, if you can take my life, do that now. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you can. Okay. Uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assert that because I think there's a difference between what is known and what is done. There's a, there, those are totally different. I think those are different spectrums. The, the spectrum of knowledge or epistemology, however you want to uh, articulate that, and then the spectrum of agency, what you're actually doing. So God can know everything, but in knowing everything, there are still things that we as humans do. He just knows what we're going to do, but he's not doing them for us when we do them, right? So there's, there's, there's that, but that might actually you know take us into maybe one or two or three even other different conversations. Let me let me button this this explanation up really quickly, then we can circle back around, Rav. Uh, and Xbox F, we probably would you know circle back around to yeah, first, maybe yeah. some some deeper explanation, right? So what I would say for the shooter situation is right. Um, in my role, right? So so most people are generally going to say, oh yeah, there's something we can do hypothetically to stop this mass shooter from performing a mass shooting. Yeah, we'd want to intervene. Now, I'm going to speak from my military experience and say there's going to be a little more assessment in what I'm going to do, even if what? something can be done in that situation. Right. Listen what? to me. What? Listen to me. Hold on a second. Listen to me, Rav. Let me let me parse it out. And I'm going to be a little more, I'm going to be a little more practical. All I'm saying is it, me being in the military. Right. This person's got a shooter or this, this this person's a shooter, whatever the case is. And they're they're doing something. Chances are, let's be honest, I would definitely want to do something, right? I definitely would want to do something, but what I do and how much good it could or could not influence in the situation, I would take into account that before I do anything and I would assess, this is me from prior military, I would assess whether my actions would cause the most good or the most bad. I'm That's sorry, what? As a human being. So you would actually That's sit me. there and do a calculus? You'd sit there and do a calculus on should it's, I stop this guy so, running into so a school with a gun? Rev, 
you would actually do math at this point and try to That's figure probably out probably what the police officers were doing. They didn't go in the building, to be honest. Well, I mean. was, and, and everybody critiqued them as and every, and everybody critiqued them as cowards. I know. I'm just that was a that was kind of a dark joke. I wasn't trying to yeah. actually defend. Right, but, uh, but but Caleb, you strike a good point in that. Okay, there's diff, there's you can't say this with any kind of absolutism because in that situation there's a. As as Nate already said, a million and one variables, right? Are you on the outside of the building? Are you on the inside of the building? Are you armed up? Do you have a weapon? What's what's your knowledge? How much are you going to actually be able to do? Those different kinds of things. Would you make it worse? Would you take? Would you inevitably end up taking this shooter to some other place? You know, in this wrestle and this you know tete a tete with him, where he's going to have access to more people and shoot more people because of your interactions. Rather than sort of leaving him outside the building, you 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 try right. to you know go outside the building and stop him as he's coming in is actually going to let Apostle, him in the building and I, give him access to five hundred people. Can so, I ask so the a, short version is one one second. Just sorry, the short version is from my perspective as a human being with limited knowledge, I would like to yes, I would desire to save lives if at all possible. And that desire is from a place of moral, you know, obligation, moral duty, based on what I know. Based on what I and, know, hopefully I can do something. God, and, uh, and this is the point of the distinction, God sits in a place where he knows everything. So when he's doing these things, if he's, you also would have to assume he's necessarily good, whatever he does or doesn't do is considering the highest, greatest, best good, because that's what's consistent with his moral and, nature. And he knows everything versus my limited knowledge. And yeah, and Reb, you're, you're missing one big matters. Yeah, you're missing one big thing too, Reb. Like, God uses us. Like, you know, we we are tools. If you want to complain, be complain about being a tool of God. Like, you know, God can use us to do stuff. So it's like, why wouldn't God stop the shooter? And and why would you stop the shooter? God's using you to stop the shooter. God is your vicarious. Like, God's stopping the shooter through you. So you're right. creating the image of God. You have a moral compass. So even Rab, someone who denies the existence or, you know, at least uh, doesn't believe in the existence, doesn't have a reason to believe in the existence of a God, would stop a shooter. And so all the time you're stopping a shooter saying, ha, see, I stopped the shooter. Where's your God? So, your God didn't even stop the shooter. Hold on. I, 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 I often have to speed up like the Micro Machine guy because I feel like I'm going to get cut yes. off in my own room because I'm being too nice instead of just like blocking people. Not that I block you. So I would like to be able to not speed through this and also not be interrupted at the same time. So you would be saying you don't espouse the existence of a God, and while you espouse that you did, because you just know it's right to stop this guy, um, while God and all the Christians could very well be like, yeah, you're saying God didn't do it, and you did it. God just used you to do it. So God would stop the shooter. So the Can I give another piece? The, the, the cowardly Uvalde cops that sat out in the hallway while children were shot were the tools of God. That's a different argument, and let's talk about that. But will you just at least concede to that one? I mean, it's no. Already, yeah, there's no proof, right? Well, like, only well, only okay. if you concede to my argument. Well, I can't concede about something we haven't talked about, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about that side. But as far as this side of the coin, before we flip the coin over, let's say that it's a belief. No one can prove it. But, I mean, that makes sense from the Christian paradigm that if anyone stops the bad from happening, then – the only reason it stopped is because, you know, God sustains your existence and you were able to do it because you're creating the image of God and know that you should do the thing to stop it. So well, and we can before, get so it. Before you flip, so before that, you flip wait, the coin. So the other side of that coin, wait, the other side of the coin, Nate, is, and if God doesn't stop it, it is the will of God for it to go on. 
So this is an action that God wanted to happen because otherwise he would have had people there to stop. Yeah, so the other side of the coin is what we've been talking about this entire time. So continue this current discussion. Let me let me throw in something just as a piece of the piece of the puzzle. You know, the one thing that God gave in the very beginning, he says, God says, I give you dominion. So hum, human beings have dominion over this world, right? So now if you give somebody the ability to rule over something, but you're always intervening in the rule, what are you doing? So in a sense, we are responsible because we have we are in control of this place. Now, God will hold us all accountable. And it says this very clearly. We're all going to be held accountable for what we did and did not do. So he is going to hold us accountable for that. And also another piece of the, the pie, God has the ability to bring something back from the dead, as we were talking about earlier. So if he allows a death to occur and his the person back. So to make that argument, you know, why would God allow the person to die? Well, he can just bring them back if he wants. And he and ultimately he will. So um, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, real quick. Welcome, Roy. What's up? Been a while. How are you doing? Hey, Nate. Hey, everybody. Hey, Chris. Can I ask hey, guys. a clarification question? I'm sorry, Roy. Go ahead. Finish point. Yeah, I just wanted to say real quick so Nate knows. Um, yeah, I just have a few minutes while the wife is showering because we're getting ready to go to breakfast. But uh, yeah, I had some time, so I thought I'd come in and uh, sounds like a good discussion. So yeah, continue, guys. Define good. <laughs> yeah, oh, Caleb, go ahead. <laughs> God, God's also allowing in. it to happen. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Ryan. Well, here, Does that make I, God I, evil? That's the best right. argument you can make yet. Right. He's not stopping this conversation. Can yeah, I, I just back in there now? Team. Yes, Caleb, go ahead, Caleb. Or, yeah, yeah, I, I was going to ask Nate and Apostle uh, just a clarification. So under your kind of, I think both of you are kind of in, uh, trying to infer the butterfly effect. Does that entail that the the world that we live in is like the best possible world in terms of like if God is kind of micromanaging every little aspect, every flutter of a butterfly's wing, every action? Does that mean like in any if God had like let someone get stabbed one less time or something like that, then this would be a worse world overall? And so every amount of good and suffering is like the maximum that would be needed because of all the secondary effects. Is that, is that, is that what you would say, or do you think that's not necessarily true? I would say that's not the point of this world. I would say the, yeah, you, you can talk about the actual thing. I'll just say, I, I think that's missing the point. Like, I don't know why people make that point because, you know, the Bible says God is good and God is loving and stuff like that. So I think they, people automatically think usually opponents of God also while denying his existence. Um, We'll talk about that. Like, is if it's the best possible world, why can't God make it better? Why can't God make it better? That's not the point. Like, everything is is for His glory, and then we get into what does glory mean? But I mean, if you just like bypass all of that, the ultimate thing is this is how it is. If the world was absolutely perfect, if God could make this world perfect, which it was, Adam and Eve, you know, then no one would be worried about the afterlife. And I mean, we we talked about this. So I think you know the best possible world is not the goal. Pointing people to Jesus is the goal. So whatever happens to get the the maximum number of people to be pointed towards Jesus, whether or not they act on it, right? I think that's that's more the goal. Like the whole point of life is eternal life. Right. Well, that's so, what we're like. So so you could say that the world that we live in is one where the maximum amount of people come to Jesus. And so if God were to have intervened in like any other way, there there might be less people who come to Jesus overall if God were to have done something different with any particular situation. Is that a better way of framing it? I mean, it may be a better way of framing it, but there's no way to answer that. I mean, we just don't know. So the point is, the person who's asking the question is usually the one that needs Jesus. So it's like, instead of worrying about, you know, pygmies in the outback, peace upon them. Someone go talk, go talk to them. People have. They have Bibles. Um, 
But I mean, as far as you, it's like the person I can affect most the life of right now is the person I'm talking to. Do you know Jesus? No, I doubt he exists. Okay, you're the focus. <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel. But what about the best possible world? Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Well, I don't believe I in think him. That I, think that's, I think that's where we need to, I, I think that's where it needs to stay. Like more and more, I get that people say, well, you know, we need to be logicized and, you know, it needs to make sense. And like, we need to come, come to, you know, you, you need to have a logical argument for God and, you know, you need to persuade them through science and math. Sure. If those are tools you can use, great. But at a certain point, you know, you get to know someone's spirit. Like, look, it doesn't matter what you're going to say, just like the Jews. Can you imagine if someone's like, no, no, do one more miracle in front of the Pharisees. It's like, bro, I did like 500. Like, just do one more at a certain point. It's just like, okay, I'm going to take Jesus. I'm going to put him right in front of your face. And that's all we're going to talk about until you repent and believe or get so sick of hearing about Jesus. You just leave. Um, and obviously I don't do that, but I think because we get carried away and we get sidetracked, but I think that should be the goal uh, anyways. So me not taking my own advice right now, go ahead, apostle. And, uh, you know, say what let you me, want to say about, let, uh, let me ask this. Still want to ask apostles from back. Let me put this on the table really quick. Real quick. Yeah, Roy, you can go ahead. Ten seconds. Um, Roy, you can go ahead. Cause I know you got to go and I've been there. So yeah, just, just 10 seconds. I just want to put this on the table and, um, you're up next for sure. So faith and so unbelief and faith or doubt and faith, they're both beliefs. If you have doubt, that's a belief. It's unbelief. So I just want to put that on the table to say if you have faith or you don't have faith, they're both beliefs. Okay? So take it from there. That's bottom line, lowest common denominator. Go ahead, Apostle. Right. So to... um responded to i i, uh, I forgot the best After. is this the best possible world because oh, is this the best possible yeah. world so um yeah because i don't know everything i haste i i uh, not hasten that would be the opposite of what i, I want to do um i caution in uh speaking on things that i don't think i could possibly know at all because i don't have all the variables but what i would say now this is where we'd have to we i don't think we could necessarily do this we probably could but I, I wouldn't necessarily try to do this, at least while I'm driving on my way to work without some kind of like <laughs> source in front of me, try to do this, you know, from the a priori perspective, but from what could be deduced from the Bible, which I think is a representation and, you know, inspired word of this, uh, you know, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God that we're talking about, um, I would deduce that this perfectly loving God is going to do how could I say this the best of whatever <clears throat> is possible to be done and let me also caveat has done the best of what is possible to be done in a consistent logical coherent manner to bring about what is the absolute best morally and qualitatively, I would say, I would assert that. And so if that translates to in very shortened, you know, brief terms, yeah, God is going to do everything that's necessary to do to make this world the truly best it could possibly be, then yeah, sure. I would, I would assert that. And that's definitely going to be from, you know, the, the Christian worldview. And for the short reasons or for, from, from specifically from assertions that 
the Bible directly makes. Like he would that none would perish, but all come to repentance. So what does he do? He causes, you know, the gospel to be preached to the four corners of the world. And he sent his son, who is also God, um, who willingly came to take the punishment for sin and also uh, uh, cover the stain of sin and remove the guilt of sin to those who would believe in him. Also, not robbing them of, this is where me and Chris will maybe diverge a little bit, but not in a sense robbing them from the free uh, will. Well, actually, I think Chris would assert that too. Not robbing them of the free moral agency to choose him. And Chris would say, you know, like, of course, well, he chose them before they chose him. So that's why they choose him. That's a different conversation. But the point being, um, generally speaking, without getting into, you know, Calvinist versus uh, Arminianism, um, but generally speaking, that in sending Christ, in, you know, recording his inspired words through trustworthy people and preserving that for the last 2,000 plus some odd years, he has done a phenomenally great deal to ensure that he consistently and in a non-contradictory manner, non-contradicting his own ordinance, his own will, his own, you know, way that he designed reality and himself bring about what is the best good of the world. So well, hey, he has done God, that, it, and he continues <clears throat> to do that. That's and Xbox has a question he wants to ask, and I would just say, Rab, you have to concede this. If this previously, 30 minutes ago, was the best possible world, we have just made it worse. Um, okay, <laughs> X, go ahead and ask a question. Yeah, I, this apostle, apostle said it, but it's for the room that reacted with him um, when you were talking about the um, other gods and their properties and, and things like that. Um, perfect was brought up and I'm not sure completely what that means but how do you get to a perfect being rather than just a you know sufficiently um, you know powerful or sufficiently knowledgeable or sufficiently XYZ how, how do you get above that right so so this is something that's oh my goodness who's I think it's John something Feinberg. I forget his name. What? Chris, help me out. You know authors. Feinberg. What's his first name? Somebody Feinberg. Um, he does uh, the doctrine of God. Um, and then there's a few other people ha who do like, you know, engaging in the doctrine of God or theology proper, something to that effect. Um, and so it talks about, you know, uh, the necessary qualities of God, but there's, there's, there's books out there that will discuss it. Um, so what I qualify this, if we're talking about, we're not just talking about, you know, some God who does something, right? not talking about like a Zeus kind of God who does something, but we're talking about a God who, if we're talking about the Christian God or, or, or a all powerful God, let's say that an all powerful God who creates everything that's ever been created, right? Creates all of reality, the entire universe. Then that God is necessarily the most extreme expression of any quality he's going to possess in order to be, in some sense, in any sense, the source of those things. So we, we and can't is that what you mean this. by perfection? Right. So when I say perfection, it really is borrowing from the conceptualization of infinity, right? Uh, um, and so that that infiniteness needs means he's limitless. Whatever the greatest is, he's got to be greater. Whatever the best is, he's got to be better. And since we can't necessarily quantify what the quote-unquote most extreme, extreme numerical expression of 
goodness or power or love or transcendence is, he's got to just be infinitely that. That's that's how so, we conceptualize that. And also, let's not forget, you know, they're they're um, you know, like Jesus, you know, kept the whole law perfectly. So it's it's kind of like commonly understood that you know if someone somehow was able to keep the law 100 perfect and never break any bit of it that would basically be a perfect person uh but you know what we actually do have this book i don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the bible um <laughs> let, me, let me just read like a couple quick verses real fast so um the question was something like why do we think god is perfect or what do we mean by perfect um you know let me just no no interpretation of my own let me just read some of these things deuteronomy 32 4 uh tell me you know which one strikes a nerve of why we, or hits the chord of why we think God is perfect. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, four, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all of his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong upright and just. He is Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Psalms 1830. Uh, as for God, his way is perfect. The words, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Um, that doesn't answer what perfect is. That actually doesn't say what perfect is. Wait, wait. Hang on, I, I think the question was, why do we think God is perfect? Not no, no, necessarily no. defined perfect. Okay, wait, stop. <laughs> okay, stop. No, no, I, do, I knew that I, I, God is perfect. I, I, I don't know what perfect is. Yeah, okay, hold it was too perfect. Okay, so the part about do we think God is perfect? Not not like, what is glory? Everything is for his glory. What does glory mean? Define glory. Kill me. Um, do, why do we think God is perfect? There you go. That That's for that. So Second uh, Samuel twenty two thirty one. as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. And he shields all that take refuge in him. Uh, anyway, so that answers the question of why we think God is perfect. Now, if someone wants to like define what, is what perfect. perfect is, yeah, what is perfect, and also I, define I what define is glory, it. I'm going to go ahead and jump off a bridge. Right. So perfect. No, but, I, short version, because I'm going to have to get off to go to work in a second. But I would say perfect is without flaw or contradiction. Okay, perfect wait. is going to be without flaw or contradiction. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Perfect. If I have a perfect circle, is it a perfect triangle? Okay, I can't entertain this. I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, Rob, you're going to have to find somewhere else uh, for, for so defining words. I can't. <laughs> um, okay. Rob, I mean, Second Samuel says it says it says his way is his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. So I'd say it says it right there. Roy, you had a you had something to say. Yeah, let me let me take a stab at this because uh, I've really never given that any. And thought. then we will what, move to something else. What comes to mind, Rob, is that. For me, how God demonstrated his perfectness, and if you want a demonstration for what is perfect, well, here goes. The reason that you are who you are and alive at this particular time in history is because God allowed to happen what happened when Noah and his family were the only righteous people on the planet. Now, if God would have done nothing to steer the direction of history the way that he did, and we all know how that played out, everybody else drowned in the flood. The reason that had to happen is because that was the consequence of their sin. It's not that God did it. It's that the other people who were not righteous did it to themselves, okay? So God said if the, well, he didn't say, I don't know, I'm just guessing. If these eight people who are righteous die, then there's only unrighteousness and Jesus would never come and you would never be here. None of us would be here if the Lord allowed that to play out. 
So what he did was he saved these eight people so that they could replenish the earth so that we would have these people today. And that's as perfect as I can come up with for a demonstration of who the Lord really is. And uh, I've never even really thought about that. So um, does that suffice or are you still? I'm just going to say that that's going to have to suffice because I, I can't get into the, to this. Like this is, this is seriously, I don't know. If someone wants to know how to mess with mate, Nate, ask him to define terms like till so, the end of so time. So Nate, do you not want me to, do you not want me to address what, what Rap said? He just want to move on to the next topic. Yep. You don't want me to address what he said? <laughs> we've been at this, terms, we, we, we've, been, we, we've been, we've been at a similar version of this current discussion for about 40 minutes. Uh, let's see what Val has to say. What's up, Val? Rap, check the chat. What's hey, going on, guys? I was just agreeing with everybody that was talking about uh, God being perfect. You know, him being perfect. Um, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. Um, he's good. I mean, that's for me, that's enough to define perfect. I mean, that he's the standard, you know? That's all. Awesome. That's awesome. Does anyone have another topic, or I am just going to start reading the King James Version of the Bible, starting in Genesis? Well, I'll put a uh, topic on the table. Um, pride. Uh, I know most people would define it as arrogance and kind of sort of stop there. But I would like to add that um, if you say that you are worrying, have worried about anything, that is pride. That is, again, the lowest common denominator. If you stay up late at night worrying about blank, whether it's money, your kids, your wife, your situation, your boss, your coworkers, whatever, that's pride. And we all know that pride is probably the number one thing that God hates. And he is far from you when you have that. And I know a lot of Christians, even though you're born again, have pride. But would they admit it? No. Do you know why? Because of their pride. That's what I put on the table. Anyone? That is a little bit away from the current topic, yet right up next to the edge of it. <laughs> I think you it's, wanted to change prideful, the topic. It's, though, it's prideful right? because it's, well, I mean, it's a topic change. I mean, it's prideful because it's prideful because it's prideful. But Roy, I was thinking about something exactly along these lines yesterday. Um, my friend, we, we, we talked about a guy I know that, you know, um, recently had a divorce and stuff like that. And this judge has gave, given his, his ex-wife, like, multiple like three three chances to have like equal custody of her kid uh but he puts a stipulation like you know because of school and stuff like that like she has to live in the area which you know she lives just outside you know the area he says um for whatever reason and he's like well i gave you a chance so no you don't get equal custody and she keeps appealing it so instead of like moving like 10 miles away and, and this is not like someone who has a family home or something like that she's like you know living in just living in random spots. Um, it would be easy for her to move. She constantly moves around. Um, anyway, so she's like, no. And she's like, she appealed this decision. I promise this will be related in a minute, Roy. Uh, so she appeals this decision twice now to another judge, the appellate court, and this court of like the appellate board, like three judges or three people on it um, have ruled twice since. So this will be the third strike that she doesn't get equal custody of her kids. Um, and her reason for appealing every single time was not for like the welfare of the kid or to be close to the kid or if she's the mother or something like that. It was always because she was wronged at the first decision of the judge. So I'm like, I just said this yesterday. I'm like, dude, that is the most insane, like stubborn, prideful ego thing on earth. Like, even if you think you were wronged, 
Who cares? You're like, this is for the welfare of the kid. Like, why, why do we need to re reverse this judge's decision? For the welfare of the child, I'm their mother. They need their mother. Uh, that's what should have happened, and I guarantee it probably would have been, guarantee it probably would have been reversed. But instead, she's like, her reason was, I was wronged. And they're like, denied. <laughs> and, uh, and also yesterday, and there's someone else could talk right for this. Uh, yesterday, we were talking because, you know, I turned over the room and peaced out and I came back for some reason. I want to punish myself. And it was about LGBT stuff. And someone was talking about, like, you know, why Christians focus on, like, gay stuff more than anything else. And I said, well, it's because it's, it's you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So when you shut down entire cities for a month and have parades and people walking around naked and, like, shoving your sexuality down your throat – it's it's only natural that's going to be talked about most because it's so prevalent. They're like, well, what about regular fornication? What about, you know, live-in boyfriends? It's like, yeah, we think that's all sin too. And if you go to a church, you'll occasionally hear about it. But the reason Christians aren't like, you know, standing on the corner preaching about that is because typically like couples just in fornication, like, you know, not like having giant parades shoving their fornication in your face, um, they aren't around doing that type of stuff. So uh, Anyway, but before we get to sexuality, right, because they always want to say it's a focus on who sticks what where, or maybe that's my crude version of saying that, but it's pride. So before you get to like what the Bible calls sin and sexuality and stuff like that, it says pride is a sin. So it's like, even if someone is just loud and proud and be like, hey, I got a divorce. Look how this is. Ah, I'm so proud. I'm so free. And they're just like this proud, arrogant person, like touting how awesome divorce is. Well, yeah, you know, divorce, except for a certain reasons, that would be wrong to do in god's eyes where's so from? but 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 hang, hang on almost oh sorry Bef yeah, yeah. But, but but before we address how divorce would be wrong except for a handful of biblically uh, authorized circumstances before we even get to divorce or sex or anything we would address the pride issue because it's so flagrant it's so arrogant that's what caused satan to get kicked out of heaven was not the fact that he just you know little old satan rebelled against god it's that pride was the first cause so he was proud he was puffed up Anyway, so I would say, Roy, to your point, uh, Xbox, I, I want to uh, give a chance to, uh, for Roy to respond real quick because oh, I'm yeah, yeah, directly absolutely. answering him and then yeah. we'll go right to you. Anyway, Roy, that's all I got about the pride subject. What do you think about that? Well, um, they do use that word. <laughs> so <laughs> they being uh, the people that you're speaking of. So I am totally with you on that, Nate. Um, that is, you know, pride goeth before the fall, a haughty spirit. And they're going to fall. Everybody is going to fall. So this lady that you're speaking of, the mom, uh, the former wife, yeah, she's, she's going to fall. Uh, the more she pushes on the pride issue, the, the bigger the fall. So right on. Can I well, ask? it seems like she's falling and she's not moving. Now, hang on, X wanted to say something. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, just, I don't want to draw away from this. I just wanted to add to it. Um, the separation between principled and, and pride. Like, wh where's that line? Uh, what do you mean exactly? Yeah, from being, like, from being principled about something and holding, you know, holding to your guns and and being prideful. Well, I, I think those are two completely different things. Like, if I, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I would say it's a principle to, uh, let's see. Um, like I, I use this example a lot. I can't think of one now, but I'm like, look, I wouldn't do this just on principle. Um, so like if I think, goodness, I'm going to need to think of an example for a minute, but I, I would say that I think they, they, they're different issues. Like I would even say you could talk about like what type of pride is real pride, like, you know, sinful pride, because I'd say, you know, like I'm proud of my children. Well, 
hopefully a reasonable person is not going to think of, oh, Nate's sitting by being proud of his children and like being happy and have a warm heart when they do accomplishments and stuff like that, uh, because, you know, they're, they're his kids and stuff like that. Hopefully they wouldn't equate that pride, like, oh, heartwarming experience to I'm going to do what I want with myself and I'm going to like paint myself green and run naked down the road and, you know, force my, you know, the stuff your Bible calls sin, uh, you know, force it in your face and, you know, like, you know, make choir songs saying we're going to convert your children into our prideful, sinful ways. And I would say there would be a flagrant, arrogant disregard um, for, for God, the Bible, other people. And it, that would be like the spirit in which you'd be like, oh, bro, that's prideful. That's like, that's like exactly the type of like satanic rebellion I would expect versus, oh, you did good on your test. Oh, daddy's proud of you. I would say those are worlds apart. So before we get to pride versus principle, I'd say we could just differentiate between pride versus pride. Yeah, I was saying, like, um, if you hold on to something long enough principled for principled reasons, that I think it can turn into pr pride. It could. Without I would you, agree. Without you knowing it. And, Do you agree with that, and, and then you're holding on to pride at that point. Yeah, I would, uh, I would uh, cut the line really quick. If it's self-will, it's pride. If it's God's will, it's not pride. So to use what Nate said, oh, I'm so proud of my kids, right? Um, is that Nate saying that, oh my goodness, my kids are so great because I'm so great. And he doesn't acknowledge the fact that he can do all things through Christ, right? As if he doesn't acknowledge Christ as the reason he was a great daddy and they are great children, then it's self-will versus God's will. It's really that. Uh, Caleb, you had something? Yeah, no, I just... Your point earlier, Roy, I was just getting clarification. It sounded like you were saying like worry and kind of uncertainty would be prideful and therefore sinful. And maybe I just wanted to clarify. Yes, like that, if that is correct. Has, yes. Un so if someone has like a, a spouse or, or a family member who had like breast cancer or something and they were just like, oh, I hope they're okay and all that stuff. Like at what point, what, what extent do you go to get that like fix instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. It's in God's hands. We don't need to see a doctor think that versus being worried and not being certain about the future, I guess. Like, how do we balance that with, um, with like faith and trusting God without being prideful? Well, uh, I don't know where you get. Let's not go to the doctor. I mean, that would be silly, right? I mean, yeah. So is, you, is, is your idea that like it would be prideful because you're you're saying like you're worrying when you know God knows everything and God's got this. So by by worrying, you're really questioning God because if you if you really had proper faith and you were humble and had humility you'd be you wouldn't worry because you're like ah even though my world is on fire around me god's got this amen kind of where you're going? exactly so okay uh very quickly because i know i misunderstood a lot and that's okay so worry that is self-inflicted that is not god inflicted so i'll repeat myself lowest common denominator if you are wanting to take care of the situation that you cannot take care of, that's worry, that's pride. Give it to the Lord. Give all your cares, all your worries to the Lord, and he will be near to you. Humble yourself, right? Because if you proud yourself, like a lot of people do, and they even say it, it's like, we're going to have this uh, pride parade and stuff. Uh, the Lord is far from them. Uh, the Lord can't do anything. You're keeping the blessings from yourself. Uh, and it's because you don't understand 
what you don't understand about how the Lord is working in your life because of the people around you. Your inner circle, you don't have people challenging you when you do these little subtle things that you think is right because everybody around you is right. And maybe even the pastor of your congregation is saying this because they don't know any better. That's all. So is this only applying to things that are out of your control? Like if there's something that you can do, should you just say, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to trust God instead. Or are you saying, no, you should do it. But if it's something outside of your, like, but again, with the doctor, like if there is something I could go to a doctor to get something treated, am I not having faith in God by doing that? Or is that a tool that God's provided so that I should do that versus something that's like absolutely untreatable that therefore I just need to put my faith in God because there's nothing. Right. Right. Like, if you can perform a brain surgery, yeah, if you can perform brain surgery on yourself and, and live, go for it. Uh, but if you can't, go see a doctor. So you so you shouldn't just say, God's got this. I don't need brain surgery. I don't have to. Uh, oh, that's not what it. I'm saying. So see, you misheard what I'm saying. What saying. Just can clarify. I, I think it's time. when you have a doctor's appointment two weeks away and you're up at 3 a.m. in a corner sweating bullets uh, wrapped up in a blanket, you know, like biting your fingernails with a quick. Because you're like, right. oh, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Ah, you know, you have a doctor appointment. You have to stay alive that long to get there. Um, you're taking all practical steps. But instead of taking practical steps and going to bed, you're sitting there freaking out, which, you know, let's split the difference. Um, you know, it's not like people don't struggle with temptations and people don't have problems. So, yeah, in a perfect world, you'll hit that bed like a rock and sleep tight. Uh, in the real world, you're probably going to have some turmoil. You may eat a little less. You may have some weird feelings in your stomach. Um, that's where you turn to God and and pray. Um, it doesn't mean you're perfect. So I agree with Roy in principle that, yeah, that that a perfect world. Hit that brick, uh, hit that bed like a brick, and go to bed. In the real world, you know, if you can't do that, pray, read your Bible, use that time to draw closer to God, and God will draw closer to you. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Nate. Welcome. How are you, Albie? Good by the grace of God. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm just gonna. Would you mind if I added it? Just yeah, go ahead. I appreciate it. You know, now. Roy, with all with all due respect, while I do agree with everything that you said, right? I would I would imagine, and you know, when I, sh I shouldn't say with all due respect, so I'm not going to say anything that's out of <laughs> that's disrespectful. But nonetheless, though, I would I would say that we should have more mercy on you know people that are troubled. For example, when Peter was so bold, right, to call on the Lord and tell him in Matthew 14, you know asked me to come to you and he gets off his boat of comfort and he starts walking on water as he fixes his eye on the author and perfecter of his faith. Like Hebrews 12, two says he's able to walk on water, but then this storm came and then he took his eyes off Christ and he focused on the storm. Now it was not until he cried out to the Lord, Lord save me. And the Lord then reached out and helped him out. And what's my point? Well, the point is simply this, right? We are to have a childlike faith and not a childish faith. However, if we are to have a childish faith and if we're truly born of the Spirit, rest assured that the Lord will train us up as He's growing us up in this faith, right? <clears throat> From one glory to the next to learn to trust Him and to further trust Him. And the Lord is patient. He knows he knows our uh, our weaknesses, which is why Paul boasts in his weaknesses in Second Corinthians twelve. If you read seven to eleven, so that the power of Christ may manifest through him. 
right? And that's the point. When we are weak, then he is strong. But in this flesh, we always, and because we have narcissistic tendencies, all humans do, right? We tend to want to be in control. That way we feel better. Rather, when you were a child, five, six years old, and you went to bed, you never went to bed worried about what you will wear or what you will eat tomorrow. But you had trust and faith that your parents or parent would provide for you. In that same way, God is calling us to have such faith. Do not worry. Trust. And if it's the will of God, right, he will provide. And the purpose of his uh, <clears throat> provisions are simply either because of grace and mercy or to make his name obviously manifested and make it known, however that is, in whatever situation that is. Albie, I don't see the disconnect. Yeah, um, I, I don't either. Was there a disagreement there? Because I agree with everything you said. <laughs> I apologize about that, Roy. I, I think I'm so used to uh, disagreeing with people that because you spoke last, I, I had to use you as a scapegoat, but I had no justification for that. So let me apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Oh, look, we're all friends. All right. Harold, what's got, up, Harold? I got one oh, for X, you, X. Mate. All right, go ahead. Um, our next topic, if you want to move on a little bit. Sure, what's up? Um, what do you think the best arguments, um, not not con like convincing like what convinced you, but what do you think the best arguments out there are for Christianity or, or against it, for that matter? I'm going to tell, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk for Chris. <clears throat> would you say, Chris would say something like the resurrection. And as far as just like evidence goes, like natural, what we can offer, I wouldn't disagree. I'd say the resurrection because, you know, what about the Jesus ride a dinosaur? Is there talking donkeys? Is there snakes? Um, you know, is this the best possible world? Forget all that nonsense. Um, you know, did Jesus rise from the dead or not? And like the other day we were talking about, um, you know, someone's like, well, what spices did they bring? Or like one said, like there was a, a spice jar. They, the women went to anoint Jesus uh, before the Sabbath. And another account would seem to suggest after the Sabbath. And, you know, the, the answer was one of two things. The answer was like there was two Sabbaths it was talking about. So it happened after one, but before the other. And I forget the other answer. But so the question was answered. But then the overarching point is it doesn't matter. Like if they're trying to say, you know, Christians think their Bible is perfect. And because of that, if one little thing is wrong, that means the Bible is not perfect. So that means other stuff in the Bible could not be perfect. Therefore, why should we believe anything about the Bible? And the counter to that is, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, then that means that, that you know, worst case scenario, the Bible is not perfect, but God is still true because here he, Jesus is being murdered and raising back from the dead, walking around. Or uh, no matter what you think is inconsistent or a contradiction, it clearly is not uh, because Jesus was dead and he rose from the dead. So that's the overarching point is the resurrection of Christ. So no matter what someone, and by the way, it's not like saying that we don't have answers. Like there's, I mean, I gave you the answer at the beginning, right? Two Sabbaths or whatever the other answer was. But um, I would say the resurrection of Christ. And then the best way to, to proof that and say, well, why do we just take, you know, a couple accounts for like, you know, why Benedict Arnold was a bad guy and Washington was a good guy. And, you know, why there's like, a couple of accounts of Attila the Hun out there, but there's tons of eyewitness testimony for Jesus. So, you know, why, why do we take just the words of men passed down through the ages? And I'd say, then you could do what Jesus says. So if someone wants to like, you know, proof this, Jesus says, if you seek him, you'll find him. 
you must be born again. He'll freely give eternal life to whoever wants it. So repent, believe the gospel. So if you're like, okay, well, the resurrection of Christ, we have lots of eyewitness testimony that was compiled together in this book now known as the Bible. Um, so we've got lots of accounts. So why should I believe this? Pray directly to Jesus. And God, if, if God's going to prove himself to you, it's going to come from God. So I would say that. Sorry for the long answer. Amen. No, no, that's a great answer. Anyone else want to follow up? Yeah, I mean, that's amen. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's even much more to say on that. I thought that was well said, right? Salvation comes from not the written word of God, but the word of God, the Lord Jesus. Salvation comes from my Habibi. I'll be there. <laughs> hey, Ralph. <laughs> Oh, well, Xbox, what do you what do you think about that? Like, I know you've heard this before. I think you even said, I don't know if you used to be a Christian or I, I at least know you've heard that a lot. So, like, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, you know, that's the best evidence. We do have lots of eyewitness testimony. And then there's actually a blueprint to, you know, find Jesus. So yeah, you no, think that's fair, no. but you haven't tried it or fair and you have tried it and haven't found it. Or where do you stand? I, mean, I, I was a Baptist for 20 something years. How old are you? I say, I'm 43. Oh. So and I, I um, I know on my G plus videos, I anytime <laughs> on the screen I looked a lot younger. <laughs> but um, um, I was saved. I was baptized. Um, I think I was uh, saved twice or recommitted or whatever it's called. Um, I I think the the Jesus, I I think you could dismiss a lot of the the Bible as fluff. And just take the the central line story out of it, and that would be enough. The the Jesus and um, or the fall, the Jesus, and then Jesus coming and um, resurrecting and 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 all that, and that would be enough. But I I think um, and Chris would probably agree with me on this because I take a Calvinist type view that God comes to you if you're um necessarily not necessarily one of the elect but at least chosen that god comes to you and um the spirit and inhabits you 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 have to be open for it but it, it comes to you and um knowing its word is is a good thing knowing what's going on is a good thing but it's i, I don't think it's completely necessary to, to actually have that knowledge. But um, that's just my view on it. You might have asked you. Like I, well, I was just going to say quick, I would, I would hope on one hand that, you know, if God's going to save you, you're going to be saved. But we also don't know, you know, how everything works, the mind of God. So like, it's kind of like, well, you know, if Calvinists believe uh, God's going to save, who's going to save? So why, why bother preaching? Because we don't know stuff. So all we do know is we're supposed to, you know, tell people these people should, you know, receive sincerely seek you know believe jesus and then i guess they can say congratulations you're one of the elect but since we don't know that i think you know if you're an atheist and you take that you know quote columns of view that well if i'm supposed to be saved i'll be saved well we don't know that so like today is your day right so like turn over some rocks dig a little deep dig a little, do a little digging and you know maybe you'll be like oh huh, well there's jesus so maybe you will be saved because you did this and god always knew it but I would say to take kind of an apathetic, well, you know, according to these Calvinists, if I'm going to get saved, I'm going to get saved. I mean, for all we know, that could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
So like if you're someone that's like, you know what? This is free. This is easy. It doesn't take any effort, really. Okay, Jesus, here you are. Sincerely, I want to know. I'm going to act out on faith. Save me. Give me eternal life. Sincerely, you're seeking this. You're wanting this. You're exercising faith. Then it's like, oh, I guess I was always one of the elect. Um, Anyways, Alba, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't mean to come off as apathetic or or kind of a lazy way to do it. Oh, I understand, but I mean, lots of people do. (laughs) Hey, Xbox, do you believe that uh, the eyewitness testimonies that we have in in our Bible today in the New Testament, right? Do you believe that they are, although you don't believe, obviously, the resurrection or anything like that, but do you believe that these are historical accounts, right? confirmed by secular, non-secular scholarship, even Bart Ehrman would confirm, right, that these were written by the authors, not to mention uh, the amount of proof. But do you believe that these are writings in which these people actually wrote? Oh, yeah. Like Peter. Yeah. Beautiful. I don't mean like the the 500 kind of thing. You're talking about that, like the actual, the... The yeah, well, so that was First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah, First Corinthians fifteen, uh, three to eight. Which notice that what Paul says, he says, "As was given to me," right? So this was an right. early, yeah, it was an early um, tradition that was passed on, in which Paul then records. Um, now, despite that, would any, would you, or anyone that you know, or really think about this because you, you you know you're an intelligent person right would you hope so. or anyone you know ever die for a lie like if they had the ability right to recant and save their life do you know of anybody that would ever die for something they knew to be a lie one honest really honest answer i I would say yes i I would die for a lie i you would you you would die for a lie like just if it's a lie oh okay like maybe to save your kid or something like you know it's a lie no no no. save your kid yeah no maybe what he's thinking yeah no 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 no, with without without that We're, we're talking about just you know you know this to be an absolute lie Right now, imagine these men, not just one, but over 120 witnessed him ascend into uh, into heaven in Acts 1, 9 to 12. Over 500 uh, ate and drank with them throughout the 40 days. Right. And that was the uh, foundation in which everything started, not to mention the signs of the apostles that were um, that were given. Right. The the marvelous uh works and all that, like Pentecost would be uh, one of them. All of these things, including a body that's missing, right? Imagine if the Jews wanted to shut them up, right? They would have just went and pointed to the body. Now Now, these followers of Christ, they were running, they were scared for their life. They went and hid, just like uh, Zechariah 13, verse 7 says, which is quoted in Matthew 26, 31. Now, these people went to their graves, not recanting all that they've seen. And they they gained nothing from this life. But their hope and trust was because he lives, I too will live where he is. 
And that was their only mentality. And the message was brought out, not by a sword, but by peace. What does that tell you with the, with their mentality? Oh, the, the, uh, Xbox, one second. One second. Um, and, Nate, and their beliefs. And, absolutely. Yeah, Nate uh, and everyone, I got to run. Um, it's been a great discussion. Good Thanks for having me, Nate. And um, yeah, guys, um, have a great day. All right, hey, catch you next time. Good, all right. Man, Albie, the way you just the way you just told that whole that whole account of the disciples, man, dying for uh, belief in resurrection, bro, almost you almost moved me to tears, man. <laughs> you know, now imagine Harold; these men and women went to their graves not recanting their testimony, and then Paul went from a persecutor of the church to one to carrying the baton and where Stephen left off, Paul carried it on as Jesus answers uh, Stephen's prayer in Acts chapter 7, 59 and 60. And it's interesting if we look at Acts 13, where Stephen left off in regards to uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, Paul then carries it on and starts uh, you know, bringing it home through David and everything else. So these things, not to mention prophecy, right, or the testimonies that we have, even secular testimonies, what do we do with all that? Archaeological evidence, I mean, manuscript evidence. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Xbox, do you want to respond? And is it fair to say that, you know, like, because I, I see if that's where you're going, like, I would make that point, like, you know, I would die for a lie if... Um, you know, they're like, I'm going to kill your kid because they stole this. And they totally stole something. And I'm like, no, no, uh, I, I stole it. They're like, really? Because if you, if, you, if you say you stole it, we're going to kill you to save my kid. I may be like, okay, fine, kill me. Uh, but, I mean, put yourself in these people's shoes. Like, you're walking around telling people Jesus is God, how they can have eternal life. You're presumably uh, not letting anyone off the hook. There's no downside to admitting a lie. If they're like, okay, you know, uh, recant and go free, live another day. Or if you hold to this, you know, Jesus is God and can save you guy, you're going to die. It's not for some some reason like, you know, you're saving anyone. Like the only thing is, do you believe enough to say Jesus is God to the point of death? Or would you be like, OK, guys, I was just kidding. It was it was a lie. Right, guys, it was a lie. OK, let us go. Um, even um, if you actually believe even if you actually believed Jesus is God and you didn't believe it was a lie, that temptation would be there to say in your mind, you know what? This is not a lie. I know Jesus is God, but I don't want to die. So I'm going to go ahead and say it was a lie. So these guys let me live. So that temptation. Yeah, even, so the even, fact that so the fact okay. to finish my sentence. Uh, so the fact that even they didn't do that, and they're like, no, not only do we sincerely believe it, we're not even going to give them the temptation to say it was a lie to keep living. Possibly, go ahead and kill us. Uh, yeah, Luke. And, and really quick before Luke goes, remember. Matthew 10, 32 to 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Luke. Okay, something I would like to add. And um, I've heard the rumor where the disciples stole the body. But during those times, if someone stole the body, you would be put to, put to death. During those times, you even go into a grave and steal a body, you'd be put to death. 
like during those times. So like there's a clear indication to showing that why would the disciples, if they just saw like, like I've heard the, like uh, where people think it might be an illusion, but it's like never once in history were there over 500 or 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus all at once. Never once was there over 500 people that saw the same exact thing when they're, when they're hallucinating never once. And that goes to show that there's something along the lines of the of the Christian perspective that does that kind of seems out of the ordinary. Well, can I say something too about the fact you know, like even going on what Nate said, Xbox didn't really say anything about this, but I want to build on it. Um, you know, if Xbox would die for a lie, the motivation is protection of the children, right? So you're willing to die for a lie to protect the child. The question is, why would the disciples be motivated to die for this lie? Like the only reason possible, possible fame, fortune, or sex, right? Those are, these are the three main things people do things. What fame did they gain? None. What money did they gain? None. What um, sexual prowess would they get? Probably none. <laughs> you know, so this, why would they die for something in, in, unless it was true? And they knew that Jesus was who he says he was. So I, I would agree with everybody. The resurrection is the most powerful. And it's actually it would even be a falsifiable uh, evidence for the, the claims of Christianity. Because Paul, and I think somebody quoted it, Paul in First Corinthians basically says, if this is false, all of Christianity falls apart. So if it can be falsified, the resurrection did not happen. And there you go. You got you got your proof. It's like Dave Matthews says, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We'll die. <laughs> but that's not the case, you know? Yeah, the whole religion uh, relies on uh, that. Yeah, question. Xbox, go ahead and respond. Excellent. I might have talked over a little bit, but I, said, no yeah, but I did answer that that um, uh, they they would have had, died with, with strong convictions. Like, I, I, I don't deny that. Like, Well, the conviction you know, whether it was a truth or a lie, like they, they would have had strong convictions in Jesus and 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 died for for the verse that that Nate read out. Well, the conviction of what? What was the conviction? If they convict, that, they believed Christ, it to be true. That they believed it to be true. Resurrection, yeah, they believed in that. Yeah. Do you have anything to say, Chris? Uh, yeah, I'm just listening. But yeah, I mean, look, but not all the not all the disciples were martyred. Like, we we don't know that for sure, but a few of them were at least. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, you're not going to be. I mean, there's actually a Babylon Bee recently that was like really funny. It's like the disciples steal Jesus's body, and then they're like in the circle, and they're like, "All right, what are we going to do next?" And they're like, "Hey." I know what we're going to do. We're all going to die. And be brutally <laughs> murdered. That is so yeah, funny. That was so brutally murdered. Woo! And then, like, people are like, wait, what? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, it's like, we're going to tell everybody that he resurrected. And then we're, we're going to be brutally murdered. 
Let's see. What's going on in chat? Is any, anything going on in chat? Or no, chat's dead. Everyone's sleepy. Anyone um, else have questions? Yes, one question answers? for you. One question for you. Yo. Something I'd like to add is, what do you think makes Christianity so different from the other religions in like a, a general standpoint? A general standpoint, it's nothing we do. In a general standpoint, it's not about morality. It is about morality. Like, everyone hear me. That's like when we say we're not under the law and everyone says, you know, go break the law. That's not what we mean. So it is about morality. But primarily, the, like the ultimate goal in most philosophies and religions is to better yourself, be a better person, be a more moral person, something like that. And while Christianity is that, Christianity goes one level higher and says it's, <clears throat> it's not about bad and good. It's about dead and alive. So it's like you have a dead spirit. There's nothing you can do about that short of Jesus Christ himself saving you, forgiving you, giving you eternal life and making you born again. That's the mm -hmm. point. So while other religions say, you know, you have to do these rituals, you have to do these things, you have to, you know, observe these feasts, you have to do this, you have to do these five pillars, you have to do these practices. It's yeah. like that. It's like that spoken word video a long time ago. The guy that's like, you know, uh, religion says do Jesus says done. Right. So the whole thing is you can't do enough to earn it. You can't be a good enough person. So you rely on Jesus to save you. And he makes your dead spirit alive. And because of that, then the morality purpose starts to be fulfilled. So once you go from a dead spirit to an alive spirit, if you're already a decent moral person, you're, you may not see much immediate change. If you're a terrible, sucky human, you're going to start to see some things uh, change. It, like where before you thought like, you know, doing these terrible things, even secular people would be like, whoa, bro, that's that's messed up. You're going to mm -hmm. feel convicted about that and you're going to stop wanting to do that. You're going to feel bad and convicted and yeah. guilty when you do that. So the morality will come anyway. In a nutshell, that's the point. Uh, re other religions say do, uh, you know, be better, do rituals, do this thing. thing. Um, and Jesus says, you're dead. Let me make you alive. Yeah. I and keep in mind that Christianity. That is not Calvinist, and you know it. <laughs> it is Calvinism, buddy. You just don't know. Okay, then you would say, oh, well, saying, you know, that uh, they're, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of the Bible, that's Calvinism. No, Calvinists got something right. <laughs> well, we just, we get accused of literally every <clears throat> doctrine being Calvinism, so I'm just trying to balance <laughs> All right. Keep in mind that the whole religion relies on Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, like the whole religion and the whole foundation of our faith relies on that, that, that circumstance. I feel 100% that it really did happen. I mean, because like if you look out through history, never once are you going to find um, like – People used people nowadays sometimes say that Jesus never existed. It's like ninety nine point ninety nine percent of scholars ad admit that Jesus died. The problem that they have is his resurrection. Yeah, and I mean that's like you know if you're a secular scholar that you know says you have no reason to believe in supernatural stuff, you're like okay, you're starting with the premise that I lack a belief in supernatural stuff. Therefore, uh, the Bible says Jesus was resurrected. <laughs> of course he didn't. Well, why? Because I lack a belief in supernatural stuff. 
Do you have evidence? No, no I, have a I, have an I have an absence of evidence. That's why. You have to prove it. The claim is on you. And they'll just start going on this line of logic the whole time missing the, missing the forest for or missing the forest for the trees. It's like they'll put up all these trees, like the burden of proof, the burden of proof. It's like, look, bro, you're missing the point. The Bible makes a supernatural claim. You deny, you can say you lack a belief all you want. You're denying a supernatural stuff, a spiritual world exists, and this can happen. So, of course, you're going to say it can't happen. Well, I mean, it's um, it's oh, it's, it's okay. They fall, they fall on their own sword. And most atheists I've talked to, and I press them, I say, "What evidence would you require for God?" Well, they want some supernatural event. If you think about it, okay. So, but their skepticism is so strong. Even if you gave them this so-called supernatural event, and honestly, if God is working in nature, it would have a physical effect in the physical world, right? So. Mm -hmm. You're going to automatically dismiss it. Oh, how do you know? That could be a magician. It could be a plank under the water. It could be. Yeah, I mean, they oh, have that. Yeah, they or the the servants were actually in on the water turning into wine. They actually were in on it or something. They'll come up with some excuse saying it's irrelevant. So yeah. <laughs> supernatural evidence. It just they don't want it. They really don't want it. And, yeah. you know, here's the biblical wisdom again. Like when the Bible, you know, says without faith, it's impossible to please God. People will say, oh, you want me to blindly believe. But, I mean, it puts people into a corner that they would otherwise put themselves in anyway because no matter what, right, like that. Like you, you can put something that's like incontrovertible right in front of their face, and they can always like rationalize it away to the point where they need to be locked up in a padded room because they have gone insane. So at some point, yeah. you're, you're going – whether the Bible says it or not, it just happens to be true – you're going to have an amount of faith, no matter how little, even the size of a mustard seed, um, because you're, you're not going to be able to de definitively prove everything to the nth degree. Like, you know, you yeah. can't prove that we we aren't bats in a jar or we we exist or something like that. And it sounds absurd, but I mean, you know, you can reduce that infinitely. So at some point yeah. you're going to have faith in something, whether you you know, have faith and that you don't have faith, uh, whatever. But uh, Saint, what's up, Saint? Nate, uh, or, uh, Hang on, I want to talk to Saint real quick. Okay, no worries. We have a I'm habit of not getting to people and then they leave. <laughs> I'm sorry. If Saint is speaking, is Saint speaking? Uh, no, no, Saint's not speaking. Other people. Oh, hey, 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 you guys. Uh, I was just, uh, I was just here listening. And I was gonna chime in when I found a, you know, a point where, you know, it was worth, you know, adding. So. All right, well, sure. Listen in, and whenever you want to say something, jump on in. Okay, so, so yeah, Luke, well, and uh, Nate, you know my epistemology. Like, oh. I, like, um, the general uh, Xbox, you actually, you actually cut me off, but that's okay. I'll oh, uh, I apologize. I didn't hear you. Go ahead, man. Uh, here. Uh, something I'd like to add is that atheists say they don't believe in supernatural experiences, or, but yet again, they believe in a super, supernatural Big Bang that is supernaturally can't be explained. So keep in mind, and they have only faith. Like atheists say that they have no faith. In reality, yes, they do. They have faith. They have faith that what they say is true. They don't even 100% are certain that it's true. Well, I wouldn't push back on the Big Bang super hard because I think, I mean, you know, it could very well, you know, God said let there be light and boom. That's that's the big bang. Yeah, I, um, I know, but, but uh, I'm just saying they believe yeah. in a supernatural experience in the sense of the big bang because the supernatural experience is no, the science can't believe in any supernatural experience is what Joe Rogan said. I agree with him on this is but except the big bang, which is one of the well, just like I, I mean, as much as I 
don't want to carry water for that side. I mean, you know, to yeah. be fair, I mean, I mean, by the time, I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't by definition be supernatural because we're talking about material stuff, mm-hmm. even if it's like a, you know, a singularity. So, I mean, I, you know, the definition would get in the way of that. Um, yeah. But a- Xbox, I, I'm sure I did know your, your uh, stance on something, but I, I certainly don't remember it uh, this long. So. Epistemology, like uh, on um, why I, I trust the, the general liability of my senses, general liability of my memory, things like that. It, every bit of that's based on faith. It, like I, I have, like if I were to base my reason on my reason, right? Like I would be in a in a fallacious circle. So my so me being able to reason is based on faith. It's just blind faith. Like I I have no problem, no issue with that with taking and blind I think faith. It's- I think it's only really religion when people like, you know, the otherwise are, you know, take lots of stuff without complete empirical evidence and they live their life and make decisions left and right and do just fine. And the evidence shows them that they have a decent head on their shoulders and they can make these decisions and trust themselves. Um, but then these same people, which I can't help but think they're just, you know, doing it on purpose. They're like, well, what about Jesus? How do I know it's not voices talking to me? How do I know that, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, being possessed by Satan? Well, I don't know. Maybe you are. Um, but no, generally, it's like we don't think about that. Like you don't know, just like you said, Xbox, um, like, you don't know that the ground's not going to like disappear in front of you and send you to a portal to another dimension. Uh, but I mean, you know, through reasonable expectation, you've stepped on the ground a lot. As far as you know, lots of people have stepped on the ground a lot. <laughs> Some of them have found sinkholes. Um, you know, uh, the Bible says God swallowed them up with the ground a few times. So, um, you know, a sinkhole may be the best thing. Like there are sinkholes. People have fallen into them and died. Uh, one was actually at the college I used to go to <laughs> after I was gone from that college, that college, a sinkhole from an old mining excavation opened up and swallowed like 30 cars on a parking lot. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, a lot of people had faith that when they parked their car there, it was still going to be there. They yeah. came out and it was not, uh, but through reasonable expectation, Lots of people leave their cars every day, and they're right where they left them when they come back. So anyway, it's the same thing. Like unless, yeah, it doesn't mean someone can't be brainwashed or can't fall into a a sinkhole like that. But generally speaking, no. If you haven't had a history of mental illness and being like locked up, um, you could probably trust that you're not brainwashed. Uh, Right? You wanted to say something? Yeah, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play a little semantical game. Um, Usually within science, it's confidence level, right? Yeah. There's a confidence in x happening or this event happening whatever does anybody look up the word definition for competence here let me read it to you the feeling or belief that one can re- rely on someone or something firm trust so when they start throwing out this confident level thing oh so you trust and believe that this is this is about right so I just want to throw that out there for discussion. Confidence, yeah. The word confidence comes from the Latin, which means con with faith, with faith, confide. And that would get into like you know scientific probabilities, right? Like when yeah, <laughs> when uh, like you know armchair ar- when armchair scientists want to be like, um, you know, the Bible's wrong because this, and science says this, and science disproves that. I'm like, oh, know how you know how I know you don't science, bro. Because of what you just said, it's like, you know, the, the scientific answer would be like, oh, the likelihood, of, you know, that's very unlikely or that's high, uh, has a pro- high probability or something like that. Like science is not going to say, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, this does not exist or this is impossible. They'll be like, it's highly unlikely. <laughs> um, who is, was it Inkin? Hey, Nate, do you, do you count 
this this sign right here is raising a hand because I've been raising my hand for a while since you had originally called them. No, I I guess I yeah I guess I I subconsciously remember seeing that. Uh, usually I when people do that it's like thumbs up or or um, smiley faces. So yeah I, I I guess I I saw it but I didn't acknowledge you were trying to speak because usually people just I usually take that as a wave <laughs> like someone's waving. Yeah, that's more of a that's more of a raising a hand. Hey, I want to talk. This would be a okay. thumbs up. Well, since you've apparently been doing that a long time, yeah, go ahead and jump in, and then we'll see what Incan has to say. Go ahead, Harold. Well, I just wanted to share a, a brief story that you guys may or may not find funny. Um, one day I was this was a few weeks back. I was uh walking with my sister and her friend um, in downtown Charleston. We were walking by the water. By the water, there's there's like a, um, what do you, how do you call it? It's like you're walking on the edge of the Shore, water. Shore, beach. So you can see it. Yeah, right. But it's like, there's a rail. There's a rail. Okay, we were walking on like a, a boardwalk type of thing. Maybe. I'll put it like that. Well, I was I was telling her, I was like, man, I was like, every time I look out to the ocean, I always think about how Moses, uh, God used Moses to part the Red Sea. And, you know, she was like, she's like, you know, what is that? What are you talking about? And then I told her the story of, you know, what happened and how God gave, you know, allowed Moses to part the Red Sea and whatnot. And she was like, well, I don't, you know, I. I wonder why stuff like that don't happen in our time period anymore. You know, she's like it, a lot of a lot of that stuff happened back then, but it seems to not happen much now. I said, I said, well, and and she was like, she said, I feel like if God did something like that, you know, um, a lot more people would believe. And I said, well, Jesus actually answers your question. And she said, how? She, I was like, well, Jesus said out of his own mouth that um, no other sign shall be given except the sign of the, uh, the sign of the son of man or the sign of the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just how Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. So shall the son of man be in the heart of the earth and be risen on the third day. And then as soon as I said that, a whole wave crashed into the boardwalk and like splashed her and doused her in water. It was so cool. But yeah, that's. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you threw her in the water for being a heretic, but. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you mind if I just quickly say something on that? You know, a lot of people ask for signs and supernatural signs, but let's be honest, right? Even when you get a supernatural sign, you'll still be one of those in Exodus chapter 32, one through seven, that builds a golden calf right in the presence of God. So right. it, it, it's, it's not about supernatural signs, but really it's about a converted heart. That is so true. Like I always, that, that's Man, a great point. All Albie. Yeah. The Calvinists, all the Calvinists, someone kick him out. Uh, but, Albie, that's perfect. Cause usually, you know, I, I always think like when Jesus does miracles, and they disbelieve. But that's another great example. It's like, right, these are people that, again, you want empirical evidence, you say you'll believe. I want empirical evidence of that because you could be a liar. Because <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, these people that just saw, like, you know, all these miraculous signs, what do they do? Worship a cow. 
So it's like there is no guarantee that it, it pro it's probably worse, I guess, given the hip history of the, the people in the Bible. If you had empirical evidence of God, that's probably worse for you. So I think, you know, Jesus says blessed is the one who, who believes and doesn't see. I, I mean, I guess we're I guess we're blessed. <laughs> um, but that's oh, a great man. point, Albie. Um, I have a question. I, I was going to see if Incan wanted to say anything sure. first. They were, they were here waiting. I know. Um, I just came into the room to hear, and I got on stage just in case there's something I have a question about. Or Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just here. I'm an atheist, by the way, just to make it clear. Yeah. Okay. That's, well, yeah, if you want to say anything, anything just jump to, on in. No, no, just in case there's, like, any conversation or any, like, point brought up that I'm, like, I'm interested in, I, you know, I, I could, like, you know, come off mic and ask if I can address Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Val, what's up? Hey, um, not to change the subject, but I, <clears throat> I'm in these rooms a lot where, you know, we have these um, um, biblical discussions and sometimes we'll have a different a variety group of people on stage. And a lot of times those who are adverse to the gospel, they'll say, oh, well, you know, um, I'm not for, you know, organized religion, you know, you know, you know, the argument. And then, you know, those who are, um, who believe in the gospel or who, who are Christians will say, well, it's not about religion this is about relationship what do you guys say about the the whole relationship versus religion conversation I, I, is that, it, yeah. it takes a little bit of grace or a yeah. grain of salt or for some some people a whole salt shaker like i get it like if someone's like uh you know hey what's your what's your religion like i know what they're asking they mean you know if i if i'm at a, if i'm at a, at a medical place and i'm doing a questionnaire for surgery and they want to know what kind of chaplain to call if things don't go well I'll be like, oh, you know, is it Islam, Jew, Jewish, uh, Christian, wh whatever? I'll be like, yeah, they clearly are asking that, and it sounds innocent enough. So I'm a Christian. Um, if they want to ask deeper, like if I answer that, and then they're like, hi, got you, dumb Christian. It's supposed to be about a, a relationship, not a religion. You don't even know your own religion. I'll be like, okay, fine. I took you as a good faith actor. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, so what that really means is, yes, it's about a dead spirit being born again alive in christ it's a relationship god himself the holy spirit will live with you guide you correct you give your guidance uh convict you of things that need to change it's an ongoing personal relationship and that's why you need to read the bible learn of christ do as he does emulate him and christ will be with you that's what we mean versus a bunch of man-made stuff and tradition that just says hey we're not really sure if there's a god up there we think there is um but you know do this do these rituals right you know bow kneel prostrate yourself uh you know do these actions adhere to these things bow a thousand times you know because that makes sense and you, it's like yeah that would be the reason so someone's like hey bro you know uh, what's your religion christian what does that really mean oh glad you asked let me tell you yeah okay that that makes sense because like for me, I, I feel like that's this is what differentiates um, Christianity versus the other religions, right? Because like we believe in God that are is concerned about us and would want a relationship with us, versus you know the other way around where we do things to hopefully appease God. And, does that make sense? So, yeah, yeah let, uh, allow me to add to that. So yeah. I, I love yeah. what I love what Nate said <clears throat> um, in regards to you know the relationship, our religion is a relationship. James 1, 26 and 27 says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now notice what Nate said. 
speaking about repetitive, being repetitive, kneel, sit, uh, being very um, repetitive does not have you to have a relationship. And Jesus tackles this actually in Matthew chapter six and five and on. It says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's a relationship. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask them. Right? right. And that's the point. So our religion is a relationship-based um, religion, which, again, like Nate said, differentiates us from all other religions. Amen to that. Yep. <laughs> Real quick, Albie, I, I just technical point. Uh, Albie, I don't know what your and uh, Abba's deal is, and I don't need to know. But I mean, you know, as far as like, I shouldn't have you on the stage and stuff like that. Look, man, I'm not my brother's keeper. Um, you know, if someone, if you want to like give me picture or like, you know, pictures or videos of like mods on my stage, like, you know, waving Nazi flags or, you know, beating baby seals with a bat. Um, <laughs> I, I may think twice about having them as a mod, but if they say, you know, I, I'm not going to police them. If you say, you know, someone says they, you know, curse me out in a room or, you know, they did very unholy type things. Um, you know, I, while sure, if true concerning, um, man, I'm, I'm just here and look, uh, they're, I'll, I'm treating them like a brother or sister in Christ until I can't. So if, if there's something like, you know, they email me something really bad or scandalous or, you know, hit on someone or sent like bad pictures or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, depending on the level, I may have some questions, but if it's just like disagreements or something like that, that can't be, I don't know. I don't care, man. That's above my pay grade. So, I mean, you know, treat them like family until you can't, that goes for, for everyone. So, I mean, you know, like people, like if, if we, if I didn't allow people on my stage or to be moderators who have been accused of stuff um, that I've heard about, I mean, I guess it'd just be me and I shouldn't be up here, but since it's my own stage, I guess I would allow myself to be here. So I, mean, I, I just don't have the time in the day to like, you know, be fruit, fruit inspectors of everyone. So that's my position. Anyways, carry on guys. Just real, real, really quick, Nate. He, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's upset because I uh, preach to the Jews Right. And he doesn't like that. So the ones that I'm the ones that I, I'm after are pretty much the anti-missionaries. Right. Like not, not even him, but really God's lawyers, Sicario, these people that are lying. But I have some really amazing friends that are Jewish on this app that I love very much. So because we preach a Jewish Christ to the Jews, he very much dislikes me. Yeah. So, I mean, if it's, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't even know what to say other than, yeah, I'm not getting involved in people's disagreements. Um, I don't know. Quick question. I guess, I, I guess I will at this point. Um, okay. So, so, uh, Albie, I mean, you know, even in light of what you just said, I don't know. Do you think Jews are evil and the whole Jewish people, every single one of them is evil to the core and rules the world and, you know, wants you to die? No, I, I believe all men. Do you have a deep seated hatred for them? Absolutely not, unless I want to hate my Christ. 
My would Messiah. you disagree with them when it comes to the Messiah and they say, you know, Jesus is not the Messiah and you would disagree and be like, well, hey, I can love and respect you as humanity, but, you know, I think you're wrong about the Messiah. You know, Jesus is God. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, no, absolutely. That That's not a problem, you know, but when they start uh, insulting like the way Sicario and God's lawyer, right, um, have and insulted, insulted that Jesus had sex with his mother and impregnated himself, these kind of things. Yeah, I'm going to... You know, just because that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. So, yeah. So we can move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're like, yeah, you you can. I just want to say that Buddhism also more about relationships too, right? You don't have to go to a church or sorry, a temple in their case. I apologize. I I didn't hear what you said. Meditate with I said, uh, Buddhist also, you don't have to go to a temple, right? To meditate or taken this practice right you can do this from home right so it is more about your state of spirituality rather than your profession in community or social groups they would it's important to them right so in that sense you know you also have buddhism as another example right well i'd say similar but not the same because i mean buddhism like you're, it's about you know achieving nirvana and it's like within yourself which is i mean i guess you can have a relationship with yourself um or love yourself. I mean, you know, people do that a little too much and get thrown in jail. But um, I, I mean, you know, in Christianity, it's specifically about having a relationship between you as a creation uh, with your creator. Um, so in Buddhism, I mean, similar, sort of, but it's there. there is no like creator God that you're, uh, you know, in a relationship with. It's just like sure. a spirituality between yourself. Yeah, I was I thinking say. between like, yeah, like, like, you know, your spirituality is more important than than the real than how you identify as far as like your denomination or your religion like how you would like versus like like you wouldn't see like uh oh well, like i'm a zen buddhist and or i'm a mahayana buddhist and it's like more important the spirituality that you gave to them rather than the what you identify with hey little dear what's up Good morning. Just coming to see how my peeps are. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> Smoothing over muddy waters. What's up, Benoit? How are you? Are you speaking? Three, two, one. An- All right. Another contention, Nate, uh, that I get from people is like when, when you try to, um, you know, quote verses or, or go over like Bible stories with um, people, sometimes they'll say, well, this was, you know, the Bible was plagiarized. These these stories are, you know, we, we, we see these stories like maybe the count of the flood or whatever, um, you know, elsewhere in, in, in other um, um, writings way before the Bible was even, you know, way before the Bible existed. You know what I mean? It's like they don't want to, like, everything that you bring to them, they just say, well, it was plagiarized, you know? That should work in our benefit because that's that solidifies all the more that the Bible is true because, because there is other flood narratives and there is, right, that proves that, you know, that we all came from Noah and there was the tradition was passed on. However, the God of Israel, right, gave to Moses the actual events and what actually took place.
I mean, isn't that kind of the same as the Roman perspective uh, when they viewed other, when they conquered other people, where they expected to find Jupiter and and as disguised as something else because it would add validity to their beliefs? But isn't that just um, isn't that just kind of like more of a biased and skewed way to look at evidence? Nothing that discredits biblical account, but I'm saying that if you look at things like that, you can come to the conclusion of solidifying your own point, um, not because it would merit it, just like you wouldn't agree that Romans, you know, conquering other people and seeing a figure that they believe would be like Jupiter uh, made that valid. It's just confirmation bias, right? That's that's what the Romans did, and that's how they viewed it. They expected to find Jupiter and other people, and it solidified their belief, yet I don't think you would say it, it, it's, it would merit their argument. Well, they were expecting yeah. to find their God doing that. We're just saying, oh, well, as it happens, sure. Like, you know, our, our God doesn't rest or, you know, doesn't stand or fall on, you know, some of these biblical events like the flood or something where what you're saying about the Romans, like they were specifically looking for this to validate their God. And we believe our God is already validated regardless. And then it's just like, oh, well, hey, isn't this coincidental? Oh, that's nice. Well, the fact, the fact that it's a coincidence to them, it's like, oh, well, the Bible's not an authoritative, like, group of, you know, it's not an authoritative book, right? Because because there's other sources that say the same thing. So that's what that's their argument, you know. Yeah, that would be that, that would be a fallacy, which is what is which is why I would uh, respond in the way I would respond, right? <clears throat> However, I don't see Jupiter around today, but the God of Israel is still around. Well, I mean, also I like how the the Romans, you know kind of to um to the opposite i guess side of that point how they're like you know we have this totally un was it the romans or greek how, the unnamed god uh, was it greek or romans i don't remember oh yeah Maybe. i think it was the, greek. the greeks in act 17 24 not well same point um <laughs> how they're like we we have a whole god dedicated to you know something we're not sure what and paul's like oh i know who that is let me tell you <laughs> yeah exactly Aldi, could, could I ask what type of fallacy would that be if, if somebody said that you wouldn't be able to use the argument of the uh, deluge uh, being represented in others? Sorry, you're kind of uh, breaking up, man. I'm sorry about that. What was that? I, I, said, I said, could you say, could you, could you mention which fallacy it would be if somebody, for example, what yeah, Val said, that people say, Okay, well, just because there's a flood in the Bible and other people say that there's a flood, it doesn't make the Bible an authority based on this fact. Could you explain? Are you guys are you guys hearing him? It was it was really he, it was really choppy, but he asked what type of fallacy it would be. Someone says post talk in the uh, in the chat, but he was asking what type of fallacy it would be, and apparently post talk is what the guy is answering. But it, it was a little hard to hear. I don't know if you're able to get in a better. Yeah, I heard the, what, what kind of fallacy. I, I'm just not sure uh, the context uh, for it. Sorry, I apologize. So the the flood account, the fact that it's it's been um, recorded elsewhere. Yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't think that I don't think I said that was a fallacy that's recorded elsewhere. No, the question is like. Uh... If people say, oh, because it's somewhere else, does that mean like the Bible's plagiarized? It's a post hoc fallacy. Post hoc fallacies follow the format. If event A happened, then event B must be a result of event A. 
and it, it, it assumes uh, causation and correlation, and that's just like not how it works. So yeah, it's a plus five thousand. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, so that that was the concept. You know, yeah, yeah, I agree. But the question was, like you said, it should solidify it, right? But solidifying it would be on also another fallacy, right? It should just be seen as just like two, like it should be looked at as a coincidence, like Nate said, right? Because if the if similar events uh, cannot validate each other, right, on the authority of it, because the uh, the relationship of it, then it shouldn't be seen as for one way or the other, right? Just because there there might be a story of a flood for the Native Americans. Yeah. It just goes to solidify that there was an event, right? But not the authority of the uh, of who has the uh, narrative on the event. Well, the thing is, is like it's a historical thing in general. And when multiple sources agree that an event occurs, it would like make, it would lead us to the conclusion that like the event actually did happen especially when we see like cross-cultural references. Um, but <laughs> I guess we could say humbly, uh, the, cre- the Christian presupposition is that the Bible is true and if, and if the Bible is true, then the narrative is true instead of- Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, from, but, yeah but not even that. Presupposition, like, you know, yeah. But, but aside, aside from that too, uh, Incon, uh, <clears throat> what, what we also have is 600,000 men not including women and children, right? That all heard the voice of God that were brought out on a mass exodus, okay? Now, these things were confirmed. Like, for example, uh, Deuteronomy 32, or even in Ezekiel where God mentions Noah by name, or Jesus mentioning Noah by name. Now, the fact that these traditions were passed on and the oracles were kept and preserved by the Jews, right, in such a way that it shows and proves our historic accuracy, right? <clears throat> it goes all the more. If you actually look at the events uh, or the recorded accounts of the other four or five uh, narratives or recordings, number one, they're so slim, you can barely tell. But then also what we have from all of these is these marvelized tales, right? in which something so simple, right, like the flood, Noah, and how all of that uh, took place and how all the nations were then scattered only to be called back to um, the God of Israel. And we see through Christ, all of this is uh, coming to pass. Now, because Christ is resurrected from the grave and he affirms the Hebrew scriptures, until you can disprove the resurrection, I too will stand on these uh, narratives because what you have through all other narratives is simply a marvelized story uh, telling. And then on top of that, you don't have actual proof of how they became a people and what took place with all of that. But they all believe that they came from one man. Um, they, you know, some will, you know, call him uh, whatever. You know, we call him Noah. So, in in short, the fact that Christ affirms this and his resurrection proves and confirms the Hebrew Bible, I'll stand with that any time of the week. Yeah, I think we're talking uh, about welcome. different. 
What's up, Christina? It's been a long time. How are you? Uh-oh, we don't hear you. Uh, try leaving and coming back. Uh, we don't hear anything if you're speaking. Um, to the person in the chat, uh, I've never been so happy to concede to this. Have you ever thought that your answers are not sufficient enough? Absolutely. Uh, but at what point? So earlier, someone uh, asked us to define what perfect was. And it's like, no matter how far you go, it's like, it's never enough. It's like a infinite pro progress um, into eternity. It's like, what is perfect? Flawless. What is flawless? No mistakes, no errors, no blemishes. What is no mistakes, no errors, no blemishes? It's like, you just keep going to absurdity. And previously the question was, uh, you know, what does God want? It's like, everything is for the glory of God. It's like, what is glory? It's like, oh, this, what is this? That, oh, what is that? That. So yes, at a certain point, my answers are clearly not sufficient, but I would say uh, for that person, but you know, for most of the planet earth, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Christina, yeah, I want to hear from you, but I, I think you got to, like leave and come back because we're just not hearing anything you're saying. D, I don't think I've heard you this morning. How are you doing, D? If you're speaking. Something that has not been proven cannot easily be well. Maybe not easily. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I just agree. Like, I mean, it would be difficult, but I mean, you know, there's lots of difficult things. Like, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope, getting that thing into space was not easy. Um, but where there's a will, there's a way. All right. Anyone got anything to say? Good yeah, morning, yeah, Nate. Oh, hey. <laughs> you know, when you're at work and people are talking to you and you're like, <laughs> hurry up. Someone's calling my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, listening and I didn't have anything to add. So just listening. Hey, Christina. Hi, girl. How you doing? Yeah, I want to hear her about like her, her microphones. Um, I get, you know, Clubhouse is doing that thing. I think she just needs to leave and come back. That usually fixes it for people. Can you hear us, Christina? Can someone message her in the chat to, to leave and come back? If I break up, it's because uh, I'm driving a semi and I go through like different pockets of good reception and bad reception. There are lots of truck drivers that, um, yeah, yeah, there are lots of truck drivers that, that join here. So we understand. Can I bring up a discipleship apologetic topic? But it's not what you're going to sure. think it is. Um, one thing I've been convicted of lately is praying for the people we talk to. I'm not saying anybody doesn't, but I just started thinking, you know, because I go into these rooms sometimes and I'll go without any prayer, just jump in with both feet, you know, just trusting that maybe something will work itself out. But I've actually started thinking like this morning before I got in, I started praying for, Reb, um, uh, was it Reb Scuttle? I never can say his name. Um, I was praying for him yeah. this morning, that God would reveal himself, that God would speak to him, that God would whatever. You know, I wonder, I don't know, just as a conviction, maybe a little bit of a convicting thing, but just to be, what are you guys' thoughts and do you do that? Are you just praying for the people when you come in? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe not everyone, but yes, I, I do that. 
Yeah. Before engaging in apologetics, man, or before hopping on these apps or anything like that, man, it's, uh, it's impossible to join or engage without really getting prayered up, man. I mean, anybody can just engage and you can be intellectually, um, smart, but if you're truly biblically intellectually smart, you're going to bow your knee before Christ because apart from Christ, all you're going to do is just, sim- I mean, look, we're not going to be a better communicator than Jesus. He was a perfect communicator, right? And yet many still disbelieve. But nonetheless, though, um, our prayer life is very, very, very important. And that's something that uh, I'm always seeking to get better in because that's my weak point, if that makes sense. So, you know, when I play basketball, my right hand, or if I drive to the right, super strong. But when I would use to go to my left, that was my weakness. And people would know that and see that. So then I took a year or two years and just practiced left hand, left hand, left hand, left hand. And now before you know it, I can go left or right. No problem. And yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, we, we see that, right? Like on display, you'll have people who are incredibly educated and have clearly done lots of studying. Um, yet, you know, their, their words could fall on deaf ears. Like it doesn't matter if you have the, the best argument ever. Like if people's, you know, hearts and minds and stuff like that aren't open, they're not receptive to it. It doesn't matter. Um, and then, you know, like Paul says, you know, sometimes he's like, look, I just pe- preach Jesus and him crucified. So the power of the cross doesn't, you know, so the cr- message of the cross doesn't lose his power. And so I think, you know, if you just walk around, you, you know, uh, being prayerfully minded and, you know, focused, you know, your heart's in the right place. Like, hey, my job is to, you know, share the gospel people. That's what I'm going to do. Like, I don't need to win a medal because uh, we're going to make lots of claims that aren't going to get us a medal. So it's like, you know, the only way it's like, well, why would someone believe based on personal testimony or because, you know, some sky daddy fairy Jesus or something like that? It's like, you know, if, if your heart is not a complete block of rock and you're the least bit sincere and open to the stuff, then it's amazing what could happen. And it's usually those type of people who are like, you know, someone didn't like tell me about like science and evolution and all this other stuff. There's like, hey, you know, there's Jesus. He died for your sins. He's God. You know, do you want eternal life? And they're like, huh, I don't I don't know what's going on. But for some reason, yeah. I just know that's true. I know they're speaking correct words. So, I mean, you, you could do more with like, uh, hey, you know, Jesus, you want to be have eternal life? Okay. Um, you know, if your heart's in the right place, and you know, you're prayerfully considering these things versus the most eloquent speaker um, who's just like, yeah, I totally believe in Jesus. But, you know, I got this. I got this, Jesus. You're cool, but hang out over there. Yeah, we used to pray a lot before we went to go preaching. I remember that. Uh, real quick, someone, let's see in chat, random, uh, you said, uh, it's claim, uh, okay, about the resurrection was proven, and you say it's claimed in the text of the Bible, but not substantiated anywhere else, and I said, well, it was independent before you added it to the Bible, and you say it depends on what parts you're referring to. All of it, <laughs> there wasn't a Bible. Like, there was a Torah, but there was a time when there wasn't a Torah. So I mean, these were all, like, independent writings, especially, like, the books of the Bible, how they're so redundant. Like, the Gospels, that's that's four accounts of, like, the same events. And then all the epistles of Paul, like, there, there are multiple redundancies where he's, like, you know, telling each church what they're doing wrong, but the messages are all the same. So uh, um, all of these letters were not part of a Bible. They were all independent letters sent out all over the region. Um, and a Listen, I'll be, far, if I far, see you at that Aaron Waters show, this-
yeah, so you're not going to do that. Anyway, so <laughs> all of these all of these things were independent writing. So depends which one, all of them. There was no Bible. There was no Torah until they're like, hey, let's collect all these things and put them in a book. This is a Torah. And then, you know, Jesus came along and they're like, OK, we have the Torah. Um, let's go or the scrolls that would make the Torah. And then they're like, all right, well, hey, let's gather up all these letters of the apostles and go gather up all these gospels and let's put them in a collection. What should we call this? Um Oh, well, let's call it the the Bible. <laughs> and then they grabbed the Torah and they grabbed the New Testament and threw it together. So these are all independent works. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have uh, outside accounts as well, like Pliny the Younger, eighty sixty two to 113. He was a governor of Bithynia in northwest Turkey. Uh, and he was writing to their emperor, Trajan, about the Christian movement dated around eighty one eleven, right? And just to paraphrase, he spoke about uh, matter of fact, here, l- let me just read it. It says, I have never been presented at an examination of Christians. Uh, I've never been present at an examination of Christians. Consequently, I do not know the nature of the extent of the punishments usually meted out to them, nor the grounds of starting an investigation and how far it should be pressed. I have asked them if they are Christians, and if they admit it, I repeat the question a second and third time with a warning of the punishment awaiting them. If they persist, I order them to be led away for execution. For whatever the nature of their admission, I am convinced that their stubbornness and unshakable obstinacy ought not to go unpunished. They also declare that the sum total of their guilt or error to be no more than this. They had met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses alternately amongst themselves in honor of Christ as if to a God and also bind themselves by oath, not for any criminal purpose, but to abstain from theft, robbery, and adultery. This made me decide that it was all the more necessary to extract truth by torture from two slave women whom they call deaconesses. I found nothing but a degenerate sort of cult carried to extravagant lengths. Then we have Lucinian, also of, of uh, Samosata, who's a second century, right, satirist, satirist. And what he says is this, the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult into the world, furthermore, their first lawgiver persuaded them that they were all brothers of one another after they have transgressed once for all by denying the Greek gods and worshiping the crucified sophist himself and living under his laws. We have Cornelius Tacitus, uh, you know, Josephus, and so on, right? Not to mention the Talmud and other stuff like that that are outside sources. And uh, what's up, Billy? <clears throat> or, yeah, you can go ahead. Could I ask, what do you all think about the Book of Enoch? As far as its validity or significance? <clears throat> Yeah, so Jude quotes uh, from the book of Enoch. Now, the reason why it cannot be inspired, right, as some would say inspired, is because, number one, Jesus says in John 3, 13, no one has ascended into heaven and descended except the Son of Man, right? Number two, if it was truly Enoch, that means Noah would have to have preserved it. And from Noah then passed on through the line and kept intact. Now, this is simply an intertestamental period, um, you know, extra biblical writing, which Jude uses just like Paul quotes 
uh, outside sources like First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three, outside sources like uh, Menander, where he says bad company corrupts good morals, right? And we see also he quotes from Acts seventeen uh, twenty eight and twenty nine, from you know again they're Greek poets along with Titus chapter one when we read from eleven and on. My point in saying that is just because they quote outside sources would be equivalent to us when we're evangelizing to a Muslim to quote from the Quran, not because we believe it, but in order to be all things to all men so that we can meet them on their ground and build from that foundation, since all foundations ultimately will lead to uh, Christ. And this is what's called the, the deductive method, right? Versus the inductive method starting with a um, a personal experience or starting with you know myself then building towards god huh it's the uh, deductive method we start from god and we build back and we um and we reason right with the person because there's no denying it yep uh yeah and i mean you know it was it was never included in the jewish canon and torah it was just never included and, uh, you know, as well as I think there would be some questions about, you know, true, like Albie said, true authorship and the dating and stuff like that. But I mean, I think it's a fine read. Like, you know, I mean, if you want to read it, I mean, it's going to give you some questions about some giants and stuff. But I mean, it's not going to do anything spiritually for you. Um, it's, it's probably going to make you get your tinfoil hat and, you know, dig into like yeah, our giants be... living among us type stuff. But uh, Billy, you've been waiting for a while. What's up, Billy? Yeah, yeah. Hi. Anything on your mind, or are you just hanging out up here? Yeah. Uh, who, who is uh, real God? Hmm. Jesus or Batman? Sounds like a question for you, Albie. Yeah, I, I think the real uh, question would be, who's the Joker? Billy? I say Billy. Sorry, uh, uh, I moved into the audience. Uh, well, Harlequin, do you feel lucky? <laughs> How's it going? Are you speaking? Oh, I got some real antagonistic things to say for no particular reason. <laughs> Actually, uh, I did have something I wanted to add, and thank you for welcoming me, Nate. Um, you know, there's a lot that can be said about it, uh, because it is kind of like a canonical belief and we can tie it to verses no doubt into like metaphysics interpretations of like the broader narrative of like the bible but insofar as we we utter this phrase like bowing a knee to christ i struggle with that because and granted this is my conceptual schema of christ is that he was and i'm sure you can agree with at least some of this hopefully my goodness one of the things that makes him makes him unique and um the less expected kind of savior messiah is he didn't come swinging a sword, right? He was rather in service to his disciples. You know, he was about servanthood. And so while I can understand that it could just be a figurative notion that I might be getting too hung up on, um, I think it, it is like a stoicism that is against the theme of Christ, even if you yourself, uh, whoever said that at the time, uh, understands and agrees that, you know, Christ is about being a servant and that is like, you know, one of the emphases of, you know, his work, I guess you could say. But yeah, that was pretty much all I had to. I don't know that I 
got your intent. Uh, am I audible or am I just? No, you're audible. No, 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 no. That was just a little bit to follow. Okay, yeah. So basically, it boils down. Yeah, I'm sorry, I sidetracked a lot because I, I don't want to um come off uh the wrong way. But let me just bottom line it so we can be on the same page. Um, when I had heard earlier someone mention um bowing a knee before Christ, I hear this often, and I think it you know likely does relate to oh. what could be said to be canonical belief. But nonetheless, I I think it is perhaps a sentiment that goes against the message of Christ, which is you know as the anointed one, he was a servant. You know, what did he do after the, the supper? He washed his uh, disciples' feet. So I just, I struggle with this idea, uh, this phrase, you know, servant or bowing a knee to Christ, rather. I understand it's figurative, and the meaning okay. is that you are bowing to reverence, but Christ specifically, I I see as like embodying um, not that, right? Like, in other uh, words, yeah. you wash. Can I take this one, Nate? Right after I do. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, I gotta go, go guys. Sorry. No, I'm kidding. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, no drive-by shooting. Uh, but Chris, uh, no, no, that that wasn't me. That was actually Chris Claus. Okay. I, I, I was only gonna say we should go to the passage in question and find out why every knee would bow and every tongue would confess to Jesus Christ. Was that where you where you were gonna go as well, yeah. Nate? Yeah. I so, see. The great minds yeah, so, take a light. The Holy Spirit moves. <laughs> Keep going, brother. But yeah, so first of all, like, you know, Philippians 2, 6, I'm going to where you're talking about in a minute, Chris, but Philippians 2, 6 uh, talks about how Jesus, you know, being, being God in, in his very nature, he is God. Uh, you know, he says he still didn't take advantage of this position, but instead he took the form of a humble servant, lowering himself. And that's what you see, which, by the way, is why we think a lot of the Jews rejected him. Not all. The first followers were Jews. But a lot of the Jews rejected him because they were thinking it was political and natural that Jesus, their Messiah, was going to come in like, you know, rolling with fire and like knock down Rome, kick out the invaders. And they thought he was going to be this commanding, conquering king. But whenever they see this guy is like the form of like this lowly servant just walking around with no like high status or anything like that, uh, they they rejected him as like a bad taste in their mouth. Um which is the same reason you appreciate him, um, you know, and, and he was lowly, right? He says, I'm lowly in spirit, you know, be like me. And he washed the feet of his, his disciples and stuff like that. So up until a point, it's exactly as you say. Um, and then there is a point where we know it, it's like um, it, it's like power restrained. So, yes, Jesus is on one hand, this very lowly, humble servant with humility, even to the point of being humiliated on a cross when he says I could call legions of angels and decimate everyone. Um, but instead, he allows himself to be murdered by his own creation so uh, he can be the sacrifice for the sins that they don't even know they're doing. Um, so anyways, on one hand, it's, it's just as you say, and that makes him awesome. On the other hand, nothing exists without him creating it and sustaining it. So he is, on one hand, this very lowly, humble servant. And on the other hand, this almighty, sovereign, supreme being that has no equal. Um, anyways, so in Philippians 2, 10, and 11, when people make reference to every knee, you know, everyone will bow the knee, it's because we recognize his hum he is humble and he has this lowly servant way about him, which we should be. But there's going to be a time where it's exactly what the Jews wanted and way, 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 way more um, to a part where they're like, oh, crap. Um, when he comes back in Revelation, in, in like, the, you know, at the tribulation, like the revelation, read that, read through that. Um, he comes back exactly like a conquering king that's basically going to conquer and rule the entire planet um, because he created it. So Philippians uh, 2, 10 and 11 says uh, that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven 
and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, so ultimately, when people say, yeah, you know, bow the knee to Jesus, uh, you can even look at it, you, you can look at it like figuratively or like, you know, like, um, um, like you could like romanticize like how it's like in medieval times, like a noble knight is bowing the knee to like, you know, the noble king or something like that imagery. Or you can you can have in your mind that, yes, um, Jesus is this very good servant, humble guy. But we know uh, that this is not the end state. Like people are going to see him in his full sovereignty. So we acknowledge that now and we happily, you know, bow the knee to Jesus uh, because one way or another, um, everyone's going to do that anyway. Anyway, sorry for the, the lengthiness. So what I would say, and Nate went to the right spot, Philippians chapter two, verse six says, though Jesus was in the morphe, the form of God, he actually emptied himself and took the form of a servant, not just any servant, because we know that angels are servants as well. It identifies what type of servant in Philippians chapter two and the likeness of men. So we know that when Jesus emptied himself of being in the form of God to enter his own creation, of course, we are going to bow our knee and confess our tongue that he is our Lord because he is, is of course, our Lord that left his place in heaven, stepped into creation in the form of a servant in the likeness of men, willingly went to the death of the cross by crucifixion and raised on the third day. And we also have in the very same scriptures, it states that we must honor the son just as we honor the father. If we do not honor the son as we honor the father, then we do not honor the father who sent him. And we honor the father through praise and through worship. And if you do not honor the son through this exact same manner, then you don't honor the father who sent him. So with all these scriptures, we know that Jesus is truly God and he deserves the worship that we give him. That's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen. Uh, what do you think of that, Harlequin? Uh, I appreciate we, the feedback. Oh, go ahead. And, and one final point. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> all excellent points. Uh, we forget the fact that when Jesus says in John three seventeen that he wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved uh, through him in his first advent, he didn't come to judge humanity, but rather judge the spiritual beings that had rule over the nations, including had rule over all vessels in which sin resided in them. Right. And he came to save us from sin, from spiritual captivity, and he came to wage war. And that's what the throne, his cross did. A lot of people uh, miss this, but in John 19, verse 5, his inauguration was with a crown of thorns and a purple robe. This is why in Psalm 22, if we read 16 and 17, it says that they casted lots for his, um, you know, for his, you know, robes. What that's saying there is they only cast lots before a king's um, where. Uh, <clears throat> and now when we look at Psalm 49, 7 to 9 in verse 15, it says, No man can by any means redeem his brother or, to, or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever. So notice, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. 
right? And then verse 15 says, but God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave for he will receive me. And yet Jesus says that exact thing, claiming to be God in Mark 10, 45, where he says that for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, right? And I can go deeper into that. Like 1 Samuel 2.25, it says, If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against Yahweh, who can intercede for him? Who? The answer is nobody. This is why we have a perfect mediator who knows man inside and out because he became one of us, right? And was tempted in every way. And grew in wisdom, meaning understanding of what it is to be human, experiencing it. So that when we are before his throne on judgment, no one's going to have an excuse as to why they rejected so good a salvation, right? But then also, he's fully God. So he knows God inside and out. So he's a perfect mediator that can intercede on behalf of God and can intercede on behalf of us. Who better than Jesus Christ, our Messiah? And funny thing, that's also, like, it is crazy, right? Like, even people who just do, like, I don't know, who are actuaries or something like that, you would have to say there is something, like, unique about Jesus, right? Because for the same reasons, um, I mean, the people that recognize him and the followers, great. We feel like you've won. But for everyone else, it's like the same reasons some are repelled by him are the same reasons others are drawn to him. And it is interesting. We'll just say that because it's like, you know, Jesus, um, for the ones who don't recognize him as Christ, as Messiah and, you know, bend the knee, as it were, um, for everyone else, it's like the same reasons Harlequin, you know, respected it. Um, the, the lowly, humble meekness of it, of Jesus and his teachings on earth is the same reason why Muslims are absolutely repulsed by the idea that Jesus could be God, because they're like, no, um, somewhere between meek and the Jewish expectation, like, no, God, God would never do this. God would never eat food like us or use the bathroom or walk among us. He's so high above us, which we totally believe. So it's like the only way that, you know, God, God would um, lower himself is because he cares about us that much, which is the entire point of the Bible. Because, yeah, no one's making God be humble. No one's making God be being lonely. But so there's the same reason people appreciate them, like spiritual people, not religious, um, you know, may appreciate the meekness and humble teachings of Jesus. The people in other religions are absolutely turned off and pushed away and repelled by this because they're like, no, our God could never be like that. That is way too low for God like that. You're like lessening God. Um, so it's interesting, we'll say. You get to know Jesus and in a way that um, knowing the Father stands distinctly uh, separate from, even if, you know, there's obviously going to be overlap. And this is, of course, in no way to suggest that you, you don't get to know the Father. It's almost like in Lord of the Rings. It's going to be a Lord of the Rings analogy. Um, <laughs> the hobbits, along with everyone else, gets to know Aragorn as like this kind of just badass nonetheless. But, you know, he's, he's a human. He's not a lord. He's actually, you know, been cast out of the kingdom, right? And um, just where it's similar in my mind is they have respect for him, but they they wouldn't bow to him until the end of the third one, right? He's the king. He's being crowned the king. And as he turns to them, he says, you bow to no man. And I think it's 
a reference in a way to that relational aspect of their friendship that was explored and, and that we got to see um, while he was still Strider prior to him being the king. So I guess that's where I was kind of coming from, if that analogy makes any sense. But I do appreciate your guys' feedback, and I, and I, I don't even disagree with you completely because I think beyond the formality of Stoicism, there's specific like reasons within the Bible why you would regard and have reverence for because uh, being a servant is like what we could be said to be called to do. And because we struggle with it, um, you might regard the, the perfect one who doesn't struggle with it as, you know, so reverent that you would bow a knee. So it still would be in step if that makes sense with the idea of servanthood, but um, just fun ideas to play with. I do appreciate the feedback, but. Well, yeah. And I mean, and I, mean, I think it's a great allegory because I mean, you know, Tolkien was, was a Christian, like the whole Lord of the Rings thing is, is based on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Uh, Robert, you keep co coming and leaving, and I keep missing you. What's up, Robert? How are you doing? If you're speaking... Oh, no, Robert, we can't hear you. Um, if you try and leave... Well, you've left and came back enough. Um, maybe, I don't know, log out or reset it. Like, we've been having that problem today. But we, we don't hear anything if you're trying to say anything. Uh, Constantine, what's up? Hi guys. Uh, yeah, I have a question that I asked Matt, Matt Slick last night, and he had some trouble with it, so I wanted to uh, kind of repeat that. Um, so in Matthew six uh, verses fourteen and fifteen, Jesus talks about forgiveness. He says, "If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others for their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." And so, given the doctrine of salvation through faith by grace alone, how do these words of Jesus have any meaning? Why is he talking about gaining God's forgiveness by forgiving others and not gaining it if you don't forgive others? Well, how does that make sense? Nate, do you want well, to take it and I'll piggyback off you? Well, yeah, I mean, that could go to the heart of the gospel, right? So, like, you know, Jesus says, you know, it's not of works, you know, because no one, or, well, the Bible, Paul says it's not of works, it's a free gift of God that no one can boast. Um, but then that means you have to understand it, right? So it's like, well, if I believe it's not of work, so, you know, whether I forgive or not is independent, do you really believe the gospel? Because all you need is to believe in Jesus as Savior who can save you, forgive you, make you born again, and give you eternal life. If you believe that, boy says repent of your sins and believe the gospel. But then how do you know if someone really believes that, right? Because if you if you really believe something, you're going to see things as if you really believe it. So Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if you say, I believe in Jesus, I trust him for eternal life, and you're break, like doing everything against him, it's like, well, yeah, it's a free gift, not, not of works, but you actually have to have faith and believe it. So if you're doing everything Jesus basically says do not do, then do you really have faith in the first place? So it could be traced to something like that. We'll see what Albie says, but it could be traced to something like that because it's like, well, if I don't, for, if I, Jesus says, you know, I should forgive. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Does that mean that if I don't forgive, even though on that level, it seems like it's a doing a work or not doing a work, but really whether or not I do, I forgive or don't forgive, that actually tells whether or not I really have the faith I say I have. Uh, Albie. Yeah, amen. <clears throat> and notice the context previous. Now, this whole chapter, so the context begins in chapter 5 of Matthew and ends in chapter 7. Chapter 6 is where he highlights the hypocrisy of the people, right? Now, the way he told us to pray is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
Notice that's repentance. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, how do we reconcile that with what we just got, right? In Matthew, the same chapter, uh, the same context, but in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, For with what judgment do you judge? Wait, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Right? Exactly. So the point is so, so the point is this, right? On what basis do we forgive men their trespasses as the Father forgives our trespasses? Because all things are contingent, since we're not universalist, upon repentance. So what we see in Luke chapter uh, 17, forgive me, Luke 17, verse uh, 3 and 4. Let me go there really quick. In Luke 17, 3 and 4, it says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Right? And in Matthew 18, 6 and 7, he gives a parable about this. Right? And I'll quickly read it. It says, But whoever causes one of these uh, little ones who believe in me to sin would be better for a millstone to be tied around uh, his neck and be drowned now, I'm sorry about that. What I wanted to go to is um, later in yeah Matthew 18 from, uh, so when we go from 15 and on, speaking about the witnesses and how should we deal with them, and then the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 from uh, 21 and on, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, why is that number of, of importance? Well, because of the sabbatical and because of the jubilee years. Now, I won't go for the time of for the sake of time. I won't go into all that. But here's what the parable says. And when he, <laughs> therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Now, the master is Jesus. Uh, the master of the right. servant was moved with compassion, released them, and forgave them the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had been, that he had done that, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also had compassion on your fellow servant 
just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him up to torturous until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother in his trespass. And I landed with this final yeah, point. You. you just reinforced my point. So my question stands. Okay, Why so is just, one second. For just one second. Just one second. Just one second. Just one second. One second. So I ended with this. In Matthew seven twelve. it says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Right. So uh, everything you cited reinforces my point that Jesus is tying forgiving others or forgiving other people's debts to receiving forgiveness from God. If you do not forgive others, if you do not forgive their debts, you will not be forgiven uh, by God. And uh, in that parable you cited, you know, the master will torture the servant who did not forgive others, other people's debts. So what do you get from that in terms of soteriology of your understanding of salvation? Well, that's what I said in the very first, and then I want to go to some other people because that took a long time. <laughs> but thanks for being thorough. But no, I mean, it, does it? Th what does that mean? Like, if you if you're tying it to works, but is it really tied to your faith? Because if you have the faith, you're going to do these works. It's like how people say you don't have to you don't have to follow, um, you know, you don't have to. I, I don't know. In theory, you, you can murder people, right? Because all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. So in theory. If you want to go murder people, you can. Well, then why don't you see Christians like murdering tons of people? Because we don't want to. Well, does that mean we're following a work? Does that mean we don't we don't murder because we have to not murder? No, we don't murder because we legitimately don't want to murder. We want to follow Christ. So it's the same thing. It's like, well, are we withholding? Are, are we are we forgiving people because we have to forgive, or are we forgiving people because we we want to follow Christ? We want to emulate Christ. So that shows our faith. That's like the fruit, like by your fruits, they'll know them. So while you're, while you're trying to say it's working and it, it seems like that's what you're talking about. Soteriology, like it's a works-based, I would say if you didn't forgive, not that it, not that it's based on your works, but it shows that you really don't have faith because all you need is faith. But if you have faith, works will come from that faith. The works don't save you. Forgive, don't forgive. That may not save you. But if you forgive, that shows that yes, you have faith. If you withhold forgiveness, that shows that, well, maybe you don't have the faith. Um, anyway, LSF, what's up, LSF? Hey, how's it going, Nate? Hi, what's up? Anything on your mind? Topic of interest? No? Uh, uh, yeah, see. just, you know, um... I mean, this is not you at all, Nate, and I know you're not one of the types who does the the whole preaching and condemning of others. But, uh, I mean, does it worry you that that goes on a lot? Well, what do you mean? Oh, gosh, I hate to be that guy. <laughs> what do you mean by condemn? Do you, do you mean like, you know, uh, you're evil, you suck, you're going to burn in hell, I'm going to pray you go there, or... Well, the Bible says this, and if you are doing these things, then, you know, the Bible calls that sin, and I would have to say I agree with the Bible. Which one of those do you mean by condemning? Uh, well, yeah, I'm talking about the people who, you know, you have to believe them, you have to be with them, uh, and if you don't hold to what they believe, um, then, you know, you're an awful person. Well, <laughs> depending where we go with that, I could say yes or no. Yeah, so what we can do is not base... Um, <clears throat> our 
faith on what other people do, but rather let's go to the source. And we know that 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13 LSF says that what do we have with judging outsiders? We judge those who are inside the church. So how do we judge outsiders? Like, for example, the homosexual community, right? We judge them by the gospel, by the presentation of the gospel, because that in and of itself would either draw you to Christ, as Romans 2, 4 says, the goodness of God will either uh, draw you to repentance or it'll harden a heart, right? But it'll do one of two things, right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the very next chapter, 9 through 11, Paul speaks about all these different uh, practicing abominations. And then he says, which were some of you? And that's those who uh, give penetration, those who receive penetration, um, drunkards, adulteresses. He mentions all of them and says, which were some of you, but you were washed by the blood of Jesus. So we're not Steve Anderson's here, right? Going out and condemning people uh, to hell just because we want to condemn people to hell. But rather, we want to be able to love them with the gospel because we believe that our Lord desires their salvation and he wishes not one go un uh, unperished. Well, yeah, and Jesus forgave the adulteress. And he forgave she, her? She wanted forgiveness. Right, and, and, and notice, though, what happened, because they all brought her there. According to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, they were all in violation of the law because they're supposed to bring both the adulteress and the adulterer because she was caught in the act, if you look Not at true. John 8, right? But they only brought her, so he had compassion and mercy, right, um, on her as well because, again, he's not coming to condemn but to heal the sick, heal the brokenhearted, to love the, the unlovable, right? So Chris Claus told me that he doesn't like me because I'm not a Christian. Oh, would you shut up, Samuel? Everyone, hold on. I think LSF was in the middle of something. Had you finished? I don't know. Is Christ going against the law when he did that? No, he was. I was oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was distracted from that guy. Go ahead, Albie. Yeah. If you remember. Yeah, so he didn't go against the law, actually. Um, they were trying to test him to see if he would break the law by then uh, accusing her, right? And yet he didn't do that because they were all in violation. So when he said, Those of you without sin cast the first stone. They weren't all of a sudden convicted, oh, man, I'm a sinner. Oh, I did this in my life. I did that. No, 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 no. They knew they were in violation of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, where they're supposed to bring the adulteress and the adulterer, right? But they only brought the adulteress, and the Lord exposed them, which is why he wrote on the ground with the finger, with his finger, to show and demonstrate what you see in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, that the law was given by the finger of God. Jesus is the God, and by his finger, he gave the law. And here they are trying to test him on the law. To, <clears throat> so he exposed their hypocrisy. Just a hey, quick comment. Uh, uh, just a quick comment. It's a really cool dramatic story about the adulteress. I, I agree. But the problem is it's not on the earliest manuscript. So it was a later it's edition. A later edition. Yeah. So, so I, I've talked to Constantine before and I've already exposed them on that. So I'll, I'd be happy, Constantine, to uh, set up a debate and let's pick a topic and debate. Because all you do is you come up and you bring up the worst arguments. No offense. Right. And now you, you try to derail, story you derail, here, excuse me, excuse me, if you can't control yourself, sir, 
right? When someone's talking, Nate will move you down like he just did. But well, allow I mean, that was me really to... rude. Like, uh, well, yeah, not to not to interrupt you, Albie. But no, yeah, no I mean, that was really rude. Like LSF and you were having a conversation, and the dude just like jumps in. So you know, I'd like to have a and, little and, bit of order. And he, and he does that constantly, especially especially in this room. Uh, Steph and I have dealt with him on but, numerous. Is Steph still here? Were you, were you responding to LSF or had he just got done? I, I keep forgetting because people keep interrupting. Like, who was about to speak? You or LSF? Yeah, no, I, 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 think, I think you I, just I, got I, done speaking right now. I think was LSF was. Yeah. Can I ask a question? And I wanted to say something real quick, too. I'm just going to dump you all on Albert. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, LSF, did that answer your question? Are you good? Uh, yeah, thanks, Nate. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Uh, that was your question. Well, Hang on one second. Rags, Rags asked if he could say something. Was it about this topic, Rags? Yes, it was because you know he he, he did quote. Okay, say that, so, and we'll go right to Sun. That's fine. The, if you read the story, he says the woman forgave. The woman for Jesus forgave the woman. Do you know? Did you continue on and remember what he said also to to the woman? LSF. Do you remember what he also said? Uh, yeah, go and don't sin again. Exactly. So ultimately, that's the point. Did he break the law? No, because God can forgive anybody. But ultimately, he was trying to get her to move in faith to not do that anymore. So anyway, that's all. Uh, son, what's up, son? Grace, more grace, brothers, more grace, more grace, brothers. Rags, Albie, little deer, Nate, more grace, more grace, fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. Love y'all. Really quick question. Might have two, if that would be permissible. Let's see how one goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. My first question is, can I can I put a rule to my question? You can only answer it yes or no, no matter how much you don't like. No. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ask an off the wall question. Like, you know, like, is your wife, you know, I'm not going to ask no weird <clears throat> I will start off with a yes or no, and then I'll explain you. How, however I want. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. At least you was honest enough to say that. Thank you. I am to right. Is there any... Is there any other holy God outside of God the Father and God the Son? My answer... Well, my answer... My answer... I'm gonna start off. I'm gonna start this off and saying my answer is no, and I have plenty of explanations on why. My answer is no. There is no other holy God outside of God the Father and God the Son. My answer is no. We agree. Okay, so well, I would say there's a I different also, person. I would also say. I would also say no, but then the explanation would be there is not, depending how you mean that, uh, there is not even a God outside God the Father or God the Son. Like that, that makes it sound like there's two gods. That's not even a thing. Like there is, there is one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I would, I would say no to your yes or no, and then I would just clarify that uh, you know there is not God the Father uh, and God the Son, as in different gods which maybe you meant that, but I'd say, you know, there is one God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, one God. Uh, there's my answer. 
so, and so, explanation. So in a nutshell, would you say no? Well, yeah, I start off with a no. So no, there is no other holy God outside of God the Father and God the Son. Yeah, I'll just reiterate what I already said. All right, all right. Anybody else want to answer that? Is there any uh, other Chris, holy God Chris outside of God? To say something. No, yeah, that Nate answered it truthfully because the question presupposes that there's two separate, distinct, true gods, and that's not something any Christian would believe. Any all Christians would believe that there is but one true God, and we believe that one true God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, to so. So to ask, is there another holy God outside of what we believe? No, but we don't believe what you said. Uh, we believe that the one God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yeah, I absolutely subscribe, and I believe that as well, right? But here's my but here's my problem, though. When I ask this question, it kind of provokes something in the Trinitarian's doctrine and pertains to personification. Because I would have to ask this. Who does the Holy Spirit proceed from? God the Father or God the Son? John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. He proceeds forth from the Father and the Son pours him out, which is why he's called the Spirit of the Son. In Revelation 22, verse 1, it shows that he proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. Right? And... <clears throat> That's uh, that would be the hierarchy within the triune God, right? Again, Revelation 22 1, one throne, three distinct persons. You got God, the Lamb, and the living waters, which is the Spirit of God, according to John 17 38 and 39, Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. All right, so Albie, check this out. If we do believe 100% that there is no other God outside of the God the Father and God the Son, I don't see why we don't understand that the Holy Spirit could possibly be God the Father, a manifestation of the person of God the Father and or God the Son. I don't see why we don't see that because they proceed from the same place. They proceed from the same one true God. So, I mean, I understand that it's a, I, I understand the distinction in, in him being a person. I get that. We get that. But I do believe that there's this there's this thin line of who this person is that kind of been wrestled with in you guys' doctrine. And it may, you know, it may have may have to come to a little little. All right, well, let me read this for you. John 15, 26 and 27 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he, not me, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So notice, the Holy Spirit will testify of Jesus, and the disciples will testify of Jesus. Well, here's the fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, <laughs> where it says, And he and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, very next chapter in John 16, which you have in 13 and 14 is this. Matter of fact, better yet. We should go I'll, to that too, Albie. Thir okay. Yeah, we should. Yeah, just give me one second though, bro. Just Sorry, man. One second and then I'll give it right back to you. John 12, 49. John 12, 49. 
For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Notice, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. In John 16, 13 and 14, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take up what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Right. And that's exactly what he does, which is why Jesus says in John 14, 16, I will send you another helper at Pedicolite because Jesus is the first Pedicolite, first John 2, 1. And the spirit is the second Pedicolite. Right. We have one intercessor in heaven, Romans 8, 34, one intercessor on earth, Romans 8, 26 and 27. No, that's good. That's good. I'll be I'll be that's that's good. I'll be so. so but I'll be you, you kind of. You kind of helping me lay this thing down, Albie. You kind of got your hand with me well, on the plow. Well, hang on. We got some uh, – hang on on that plow for a second. Like, we do have other people, and it's, you know, it's not like a debate of Christian forever. So, like, you've asked and been answered multiple times. And just to reiterate, uh, Albie, because I didn't, I didn't hear you say it. I don't know if it's because there were someone else talking over you. But, but just to, the finishing part of Acts 5, 3, and 4, I, I didn't hear you say that you have not lied to men but to God, um, in case other people didn't hear that either, just to reiterate that. Right. But uh, – yeah, so go ahead and do one more round, son, and Albie, you'll put the final word in it, and then we'll uh, see what Jay and Jacob and Devil Kitty Cat are up to. So yeah, go ahead, uh, son. All right, what I was going to say one is, more row. What I was going to say is, uh, Albie, everything you brought to the table is beautiful, bro, but I, I, I would like to encourage this. I would like to encourage this. I would like to encourage this, okay? There could have been a possibility in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit was indeed the manifestation of the person of the Father working in Christ. Just give I'm, I, now. I'm not limiting him to just the manifestation of the person of the Father. I also believe he's the manifestation of the person of the Father and or the Son. He operates in us as well by way of the Son. But in Christ, in reference to Christ, according to John. 14 and 10, Albie, could could that statement that I just made about the, the Holy Spirit being a manifestation of the person of the Father, could it no. be true? Uh, hold on, wait. Could it be true according to John 14 and 10? No, because in John 14, 9 and 10, he says, he who sees me sees the Father. The works that, uh, you know, if you don't believe me, believe at least the works, Right that the father's in me and I'm in the father. Then what? he goes on to speak about um, the paraclete and John 14 from 16 to 23 to 26. But with that said, if we're going to use that line of reasoning, then we have a big problem because no, no we don't because we can, yeah, see, we well, can clearly hang, see the father. Hang in there. Hang Son, on. Hang hang on. Hang in, hang yeah. Else. And I'll, I'll, I'll land it with this because then what you have is the man Jesus, the human Jesus, in Acts 2, 33, pouring out the Father on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 33 says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father 
the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So if you're saying that, then that means the human nature poured out the divine nature on the day of Pentecost. So the son, who's a human, poured out the father on the day of Pentecost. Not only that, he received from the father, received from the father, the promise of the spirit, which means that he did not possess it until the father gave it to him to pour out. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm afraid that's, that's a little tough seeing that he just got it in the early chapters of John. I believe it was the first chapter chapter between one and two he was baptized so it's kind of weird you went there but yeah i mean i get it i get it and 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 far as and far as christ pouring out the spirit far as christ pouring out the spirit could it possibly remember remember my premises the the holy spirit is the manifestation of the person of the father and or the son could he been pouring out the spirit of christ hang on hang on sorry sorry i was on the i was on the phone i wasn't able to get to that but yeah i mean you know we all had a gentleman's agreement so you know Unless you want to be forever known as a dirty, filthy, satanic liar. Let's uh, see what Jay has to say. What's up, Jay? <laughs> Jay, no pressure. Do you have anything you want to say? You've been up here for a long, long time. Three. Nah, it's cool. I was, uh, was going to comment on what y'all was talking about earlier, but I don't want to take it back. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Well, anything else? Uh, new topic or anything? Or just hanging out? Let us know if you want to say anything. Yeah, All I mean, right, I, could, I with... could ask a question for the room if that's cool. Uh, so, do, do, does anybody believe that once a person is, you know, saved, has tasted of the gift of the Holy Spirit, right, that they could walk away from that? Yes. It's possible yeah. to turn away. It's possible to turn away. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, me personally, saved. I don't believe the Holy Spirit can leave. I'm saying that you could walk away from 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 God, though you can. It, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say once saved, always saved, um, because you can turn away from God the same way that um, that way you may turn away from uh, Him, but doesn't mean He'll turn away from you. It's just some you can actually turn away um, yeah. from uh, from God. Yeah, and yeah, and, I mean, you know, basically all that question's going to do is um, you know get a three-hour debate going that no one's ever going to solve so the best the best practical advice i have for someone is don't be the one that turns away so whether it ends up with people saying well you're never really a true christian or why have you forsaken god all by your own of your own will rather than having anyone from either side pronouncing that judgment repent believe the gospel and follow that course towards jesus and then you will have both sides of the aisle um, saying, you know, welcome, brother, whether some of them think that you made that choice completely on your own and are maintaining your salvation, or God himself has dragged you into the kingdom of heaven, um, mm-hmm. be the one where both sides agree that you are a brother in Christ. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. job, Nick. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was uh, just, just going to say, like, the, the, like what, like what, what the brother Luke was what the brother Luke was putting forth kind of makes sense, like the way I see it, because of passages like First Corinthians uh, six, nine, and ten, which I'll be read earlier. Some five, six, This is going to spark up the debate, Jay. Wait, you, you're breaking up, Bob. Can you repeat what you said, please? Oh no, I was, I was saying, I was saying, in in regards to like you doing it on your own, 
saying I think that's the case. Like, uh, oh, yeah, geez. Jay, you're, you're chopping out real bad. But I, I think you're uh, saying you cool. agree with – I think you were saying you agree with Luke that, you know, you can't walk away and, you know, that's fine. That's that's half of the argument. The the other half will be the other thing. But, um, yeah, the, the winner of the day is don't be either of those people. Go with Christ. Uh, stay in Christ. <laughs> Jacob, what's up, Jacob? Are you speaking, Jacob? Uh, yes. Yeah, I just want to know if uh, if anybody here uh, knows about orthodoxy, and um, no. I'm just kind of looking into religion, I guess. And for I don't know much about it. My, my best advice, Jacob, if you're looking into orthodoxy, I assume uh, <clears throat> Eastern orthodoxy, go yeah. to an Eastern orthodox person and ask them because what you're going to get most likely is a let, you know, uh, go to them with your questions, right? Come to the Protestants with uh, our, you know, questions for us. But this way, you'll be able to make a fair determination and fair judgment. But if <clears throat> you know what I mean, so, so if I've got I, I've got a few friends who are Orthodoxy, and like, um, you know, I guess I'm just trying to understand what uh, the true church is because, um, like, Orthodoxy, you know, they they pray to the saints and. I mean, I know Jesus said to pray in his name, and well, I mean, it doesn't say anything about praying to the saints, so. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, so what what I would do, instead of talking about what orthodoxy is, because that was one of my questions yesterday, I'm like, you know, what's the difference between Eastern and Russian and Oriental and all these other orthodoxies? Um, but one thing they have in common is even, uh, yeah, how do I, anyways. So the point is, I would say they have something in common, and it's lots of stuff that you won't find in the Bible. So if you just grab a Bible, uh, pretty much any Bible, just grab a Bible and read you know, the New Testament, specifically in Acts, and like look at what goes on in, in the first century church. And everything you need to know like, is in Jesus, right? He says, in me, you search the scriptures, but they talk about me, you know, I, eternal life. Like He is the life giver. Every single thing you know to have a godly, eternal relationship with the one who made you is in the Bible. Specifically, look in the first century church and the things they did, do those things, be those things, emulate those things. And then it's like, well, what is the appeal of any orthodoxy or what is the appeal of any denomination? At that point, I mean, we have the benefit of looking back and knowing what denomination we think that would closely align with. And then everyone's going to claim it's their denomination. But if we just try to like read it with an empty slate, you're going to come away with the first century church being like, I don't have an orthodoxy. I don't have a denomination. All I have is a very foundational, fundamental, central Christianity. That's it. That's it. So once you so get, once, once you get, get that, you get that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll finish. So, but once you get that, it's like, what possible benefit could it have to add all these traditions of man on top? of what I, what I need. Like, I don't need more. Everything I have is in the Bible. So what benefit is there from adding more? At best, it's unnecessary. At worst, it's going to cause problems. Now, now, Jacob, you said, uh, you know, people's claim for them being, you know, the true church, right? Well, the problem with that understanding of who, what is the true church is Romans chapter 16, verse 16 when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss, 
He says, the churches of Christ greet you. He says that plural, not singular. Churches, showing that there was no single unanimous church on earth that ruled over everyone. Rather, there were churches, right? And these churches were all in union with one another, not one ruling over another, you know, but they were built, again, on the uh, apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2.20, the prophets that were given after Christ resurrected, right? And the apostles, Okay, now upon that, that's our late, that's our foundation. Now, even in uh, Revelation, we have Christ rebuking uh, five of the seven churches. Five of the seven churches he's rebuking. Okay, so if you want to know where the true church is, Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, the church of Christ, spirits of just men made perfect are in the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion. But until then, we're all amongst each other like wheats and tares. And like, Nate, that, that, Jacob? and like Nate said very eloquently by the grace of God, go to the Bible, right? Right, yeah. Um, I'll have to look into that, uh, that scripture you just uh, quoted. Um, so yeah, so like I, I'm not. I don't claim denomination. I'd rather go to a non-denominational church because um, they they seem to not. I mean, I mean, I guess every church has has a certain doctrine, but um, it's not pushed on you like like Baptist views or uh, Catholic orthodoxy, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I. Albie, I've, I've listened to you uh, a few times, and um, you seem to be pretty educated and stuff. Uh, were, were you a Muslim before or something? No, 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 just, no. Just I, I, yeah, cause I, I, I've seen you like debate Muslims, and you're pretty good at it. So I'm clipping that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pastor Mark, I, I I was just looking for him. Like, oh man, did Mark leave? I'm like, where is he? And I'm like, oh, he's on stage. <laughs> Welcome. It's been a while. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. So, I got some questions I can ask Albie and Nate here. Um, so, Albie, you referred to the seven churches of Revelation there. And I've been studying that there's four different viewpoints about them, and I think two we can pretty much rule out. But I wanted to ask your opinion on the other two. The two I want to rule out are the preterists that all of it happened, all of Revelation happened before AD 70. <laughs> and then the other one I want to rule out is that um, it's all allegorical. So it leaves us with, when you look at, especially those seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, uh, one view would be that uh, they're literal churches in Asia Minor. And they're in the Bible now because they represent churches of all the ages. And we can find churches like those seven in the churches today. And we can even find ourselves perhaps uh, as parts of those churches. We can see ourselves in those seven churches. That's one view. The other view 
is that each of the seven churches is like a historical age. And you'll hear people say, well, we're a Laodicean age, you know, because that's the last church and they're lukewarm and we're all lukewarm and we're in the Laodicean age. And so the stuff from the other churches is more for those previous ages in history. So I was wondering, Albi and Nate, which of those you prefer? Uh, the the application of all seven to our churches and our lives today, or the historical, you know, we're in the lay of the sea and age today. Nate, you want me to piggyback off here? Yeah. Sure, I was a little ways away from my mic. Um, yeah, so I, I think I would either say both of those are true, <laughs> um, that they're literal and it's in the age, or if we just said the age, then I would say that um, it's not an age like a Laodicean age, but I would say all those ages are happening simultaneously. You just pick the church that applies. So I, I don't know if that causes another layer of confusion. But um, So, yeah, I don't have a problem with them being seven literal churches because surely there were seven churches on the earth that fit the bill for all of those things uh, at that time. And there are certainly churches that would still fit uh, each of those descriptions every age since then and at this present time and in the future. So, yeah, um, I, I think it could be ages, but not like one age going to another age, but like, you know, the age that all of these things are actively happening. So as well as literal. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're the ones I forget the, the names, but like the Laodicean and all the others like Church of Philadelphia or all, all the other ones. Like, yeah, there was definitely those churches then they need to be corrected, except, you know, the good one. And there are definitely these churches now. So we should try our best to go to one that's closest to the good one. Right. Amen. So there are four different positions on, uh, on revelation. Now I am a partial, uh, rhetoricist, right? I don't believe revelation has come to pass, but I do believe Matthew 24, Luke 21 and Mark 13 had its fulfillment in, uh, 80, 70. But with that said, uh, the reason why I would have trouble with, you know, the different ages representing the different churches would be because we actually have mentioned by name in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. It says, I know your works and you and where you dwell and where Satan's throne is. Now, this is a topic in and of itself, if you know what this is, man. This is actually obscene and crazy. Um and what what this actually represented, um, but with that said, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, it did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells, right? But I have these few things against you: the doctrine of Balaam. Well, we wouldn't know what the doctrine of Balaam. Um, was in the way that he would be mentioning it. I mean, we can imagine by going to Numbers uh, 23, Numbers 22. But the point is, in the previous, in Revelation 2, the persecuted church, Smyrna, we have tradition that it's Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, who was actually the bishop of this church when Jesus was, uh, or when the Revelation was being um, given to John. Right. That Polycarp, the bishop of uh, Smyrna, 
was there as the faithful uh, bishop, right? Because these are the two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, that did not get uh, that did not get rebuked. So what do we have? Well, again, this is not something that I would be dogmatic in, right? But what I believe is this: because there's so much number symbolism throughout the Book of Revelation, I do believe that the seven churches represents the totality of what the church has looked like for, uh, you know, 2000 years. Right. And the fact that if you read the gospels in and of themselves, many people get this idea that, Oh, look how nice Jesus is. Look how nice. Well, here is Jesus now in all his glory as Yahweh in the flesh, right? Talking about repent, I will kill your children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts. This is the Jesus. Do not play around with him. He will spit you out of his mouth because you are good for nothing. You're not hot. You're not cold. Both waters can be used for something that's, uh, you know, that works. Moreover, really quick, it's book of Revelation is not in chronological order either. So if you want to know what the imagery, the symbolism um, represents, you have to know your Hebrew scriptures. You know your Hebrew scriptures, you'll be able to know what the book of Revelation is um, alluding, alluding to, right? And you'll get great meat out of it. But I'd, I'd be careful and not be so dogmatic on certain things which can have, you know, here or have a different say so in them. Um, I'd love to someday talk more about this. I'm, you know, where I can really go into the meat chapter by chapter and start breaking it down and just showing you throughout the uh, Old Testament how these all point right to this. You know, so in short, what you have is the book of Revelation representing Jesus as the lamb, which means the priest. And what you have in Daniel is the son of man represented as the Davidic king. What do you think about that, Mark? Do you agree with that or? Oh, that's really good input. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of lean with the churches representing churches throughout all the 2000 years and still today. Um, rather than, you know, this is the Laodicea and age, so we only have to consider that one church. But Albie has some really good input there, and that's what I was looking for, just some input and some thought on it. Albie, since you've studied those chapters, two and three, very thoroughly, you described the Church of Pergamos almost word for word there. Um, yes, the doctrine of Balaam, we could go back to Numbers and talk about maybe what that is. What about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Do you have anything on that that you think that might be? I would love to pretend like I do know, but it's something that I haven't really thoroughly looked into. Since I've never been asked the question, I haven't thoroughly looked into it. But guess what? You, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pushed to the way where now I want to know. And by the grace of God, I'm going to contact you uh, if I find out when well, I find Al out. 
Albie, if you would have spent less time being a Muslim, that would have been more time to get an answer for this. <laughs> no, actually, I think what you might find is that we don't We're know. We're going to come right to you, Glenn. You might find we don't know what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is. There's some ideas about what it could be, but there's, there's, it's really hard to come up with anything definitive. Okay, thanks, Nick. Yeah, sure. Uh, Glenn, what's up? Hey, peace to the room and um, blessings to everybody. Um, um, I can um, on that. I want to speak on that Nicolaitans thing because I was just um, reading a study about it. Um. It was saying that the Nicolaitans doctrine is the same as the Baalites doctrine about eating food, any eating any kind of food they can. Because um, what was the reason why on there? It was some of dealing with John and um and the Aramaic that he was using from his own language. It wasn't dealing with the Greek, because even though Revelation was written in Greek, the word there, uh, I'm gonna post that for y'all though, just on that Nicolaitans thing, just just for the record. But I wanted to ask y'all a question why I came up here. Was about the um the parable of the wheat and the tares. Is anybody familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. The wheat and tares in uh, Matthew thirteen. Yeah, yes, sir. Now, this this is my question. I've been asking a lot of people on this. I, um, okay, you you know that Christ sold the wheat, right? He he did what? Christ sold the wheat. The wheat was sold by Christ. What do you mean sold, or you mean bought no, by him? Sold, yeah, sold, 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 sold. My fault, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My bad. It's, gotcha, okay. Gotcha. it's okay, bro. It's okay. I got to get so, my ears so, circumcised. No, it might have been me because the area I'm in, sometimes it be, you know, the, the signal be messing up. So it's cool. And then the devil sold the tares, correct? Right. So when did the devil sold the tares? And that question is based upon the fact that when you read that parable, it says that the wheat and the tares would grow together until the end. Mm -hmm. So Satan would have to have came back in that time period to sow the tares. Would you agree with that or would you disagree? Well, yeah, Satan was casted out of heaven 2000 years ago, according to Revelation chapter 12. If you read five through 12, because when the son of man rides on a cloud to wage war in heaven, he went and waged war and made atonement for the earth, buying back the nations that were once given on to Satan. And Satan was enraged and Satan and his angels broke out in a war against Michael and his angels. And they were cast out of heaven onto earth where then, you know, they've been on earth for the past 2000 years um, <clears throat> looking to destroy the church, join the church, do whatever they got to do to try to shake the faith of the believers, right? But for Mark 13, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, when you look at 36 to 43, where I like to go, right, is this. And Robert, are you here? Robert Rowe? All right. Oh, if he is, we still can't hear him again. Come on, that's <laughs> okay. So Rob is a Rob's a brilliant mind. You know, he uh, he runs the apologetics on YouTube, Centennial Apologetics. He's a student of Michael Heiser, personal dear friend of his. Um, so he he's he's uh, he's really good on this stuff. And he wrote a whole um, he wrote a whole what do you call it? Commentary on Daniel and on Mark. But I'm going to go to Daniel chapter two really quick.
And what I want to do is notice that you have the image, right? Then what you have is the stone. Remember who the stone is. According to, Isaiah, according to Genesis 49, 24, the stone who is the shepherd is the Messiah. As we see in Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone in which the builders rejected, right? Along with other places like Zechariah 3 and 4, along with Isaiah 8 uh, and on. Anyways, in Daniel chapter 2, it says right here in 35 that the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, we know a mountain represents a kingdom always, right? Now, notice that when did this happen? Well, the mustard seed is actually Christ. And that mustard seed growing, right? And that faith and mountains being cast into the sea, sea represents death, are the kingdoms of Satan one by one. Right. So then what you have is this in Daniel 2, 44, it says, and in these days, the king of uh, the king and in these days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall not be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Right. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will soon take place. But what I wanted to read is this, 43. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in these days... Uh, <clears throat> The God of heaven will set up the kingdom which shall not be destroyed. So notice the allusion back to that, right? And it's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and exaltation in which his kingdom began at the outpouring of the Spirit. What do you think about that, Glenn? Yeah, I don't have no disagreements with that. I mean, the fact that the brother um acknowledged the <clears> fact that um like I've been listening to the brother all praises to the Most High. I can tell the Most High working through him. Um, <clears throat> when he acknowledged the fact that Satan had to come way back then to sow those tears. Now, my backup question to that is, brother um Albie. Now, you remember when John said, uh, "As you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now there are many." And they were amongst us, but they went out from amongst us that it would be manifested that we were not of the same fold. So, and then that Antichrist come from the Antichrist spirit, of course. But so who was these men? Sure. So during this time, remember, as Jesus says in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, many will come saying that what I am, right? I am. But so Antichrist can have several meanings in scripture, right? We see the meaning of the lawless one as Paul speaks about the lawless one uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 when we read from uh, 10 and on or 8 and on. Then we see this. So an antichrist would be what? We'll, we'll allow scripture to define that. We're going to go to two places, 1 John 2 and 1 John 4 where he mentions this but and even uh, 2 John 1, 8 to 10. But it says this, Right. 
It says in uh, who is the liar in 22, 1 John 2, 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. This doesn't mean just Father and Son, but this means their eternal relationship with one another, which is why we're in communion and fellowship with them, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, but he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also, right? And then it says in 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just that it is as taught you, you will abide in him. Now, 1 John 4, 1 to 3, here's what it says, right? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the worlds, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Right? And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Right, And what world is that? Well, you don't have to guess. 1 John 5, 19 says this. Uh, it says, 1 John 5, 19 says this. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We are of God. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. First uh, <clears throat> John 2, 2, just 30 more seconds and I'm done. Sorry, Nate. First John, I mean, these are really deep questions. First John 2, 2, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Notice that what John is doing in his first epistle is alluding back to Genesis. Why? Because if you look at Genesis chapter uh, 3, the first thing, the first debate, the serpent comes and puts to question the word of God, right? So that you lose hope and trust in God. But God is not a liar like Satan, who is the father of lies. Are you sure God said? Then he goes to uh you know, then he deceives the woman. And in Genesis 3, verse 6, notice, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband. But that's First John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Remember, Satan is the ruler of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides. Thanks for that, Albie. That was thorough. No one can say that wasn't thorough. Um, I agree, too. Uh, I want to see what RTR Samba has to say. What's up? Do you have a question? Yeah, I was going to say something, but your profile picture kind of distracted me. Why you, why you put that profile picture up? Of the devil crying? Like, it doesn't look like the devil crying. It looks like you got a picture of a demon with a whole pentagram on his face. Like, 
damn, people don't know he's crying. Look like he just got his mouth open. Hey, you made me look at it, bro. I was seeing if he was crying, too. I don't see no tears either, but I wasn't thinking about that until I read no, it. No, you, you need to zoom in. So it's a popular meme if no one's seen that, right? It's like the uh, the kind of like the, the Chad versus liberal guy. Like, you know, the, the like very clean-cut, straight-edge guy, uh, you know, w- well-groomed, put-together uh, versus like the, the counterpart that people in the memes will make of of typically a guy that looks like that who's not red, but they're like this you know fat degenerate like slothy guy who just like criticizes everyone from his mom's basement. At least that's the meme. So whether or not you agree with it, that's the genesis of what we're talking about. So somebody, hang on, let me get let me get the nobody else, me, forget nobody that. else, nobody else see what I see. Like oh, you, hold on, hold on. Oh, I, right, my, right. So that, that was my question. I'm like, you said, you okay. said, ask a Christian. We got answers. But if I'm asking, you started this row, and I haven't been on Clubhouse in like two years, and I'm, just, I thought it was like, you know, you know, people asking questions about Christians, but it's just like, why, why put a picture up of a of a devil? I don't understand why that. What? Why okay, well, as you... the Christian, then allow me to answer the question, which I'm doing. So it makes me think maybe you don't want the answer. No, so I'm, I'm listening. Answer. I just didn't finish my question. But you, I'm listening to you. What did you say? Oh, I thought you'd finished. Anyways, I mean, I was halfway through my answer. But anyway, so that's the genesis of the meme. Someone then uh, countered that meme. And the larger picture, which you can't see because Clubhouse only allows so much, it has this guy uh, talking about Lucifer. And it's like this, like from the, the typical Satan, like the Baphomet, like how it's this, you know, goat guy with wings. And it's like this real cool, edgy, scary looking Satan. And it talks about how it's it's about nonconformity and it's about being a free, free thinker, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so it's like the the satanic people tried to put this view of Satan out as like very, very like ominous and powerful and, you know, should be feared and revered. Well, then someone else was trolling them and put out this picture and it says this is the real Lucifer. And if you get like screaming warrior type guy from that, then I, I just can't help you. We disagree. But this guy is like the supposed to be like this weak, pitiful, crying baby type devil. And it's like the real Lucifer has no power. God is the authority. God will send him to eternal punishment. So to answer the question, that is why. Anyway, there you go. Oh, yeah, well, okay. Well, y'all, y'all out here deceiving people. It's like a stumbling block. Uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, well, well, go ahead and tell me since, you know, I'm, I'm open to criticism. I can take some criticism. So, you know, tell me all Bible the ways I'm wrong and tell me what you would do. If, if, if Glenn is feeling the same way, or whatever. I know people in this room feeling the same way, or whatever. But they just listen to what y'all saying. But it's just like, why have a picture of a devil? There's no benefit to that. You feel what I'm saying? Like, there's probably I'm no bored. benefit about the. There's probably no benefit about this conversation. Is this is what you're doing building up the body of Christ? I mean, I can be a hypocrite too. You're not no, so, building up the body of Christ, when, and I'm trying. Okay, I want I want to give you one more. I want to give you one more chance. Like, if you have a question, ask a question. What I'm but, saying is, what I'm saying is, do you mind if I ask him a quick question? If I was an atheist and I came in here and I'm sincerely have a question about God and I was trying to find Jesus and I come in here and I look at a picture with you, I would put y'all in the same box as everybody else. Really? Because that's been happening all day. Atheists have been having good conversations with us, asking tough questions, and we've been having a good dialogue. So yeah, because the point they, is, the point. Okay, so the point is this: there's a picture of a devil throwing a fit, crying because he's a big loser baby. If you see that as a powerful blah, 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 demon and, you know, we're bad Christians, then I'm sorry I have failed your brother. No, I didn't say that. What, I, what I'm saying is, it's like, it's like kind of like causing confusion. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, no, it'll only cause confusion to the person who doesn't have discernment. 
So that's number what? one. All number right, yeah, num- number two, out of curiosity, you've been off the clubhouse for two years, right? So you decide to come back, right, on your first day when Nate, by the grace of God, every single day has these rooms and engages people, preaches the gospel, right? And yet you want to come here on your high horse, right, and look down and be like, that's a stumbling block. Well, I'm curious. How is that a stumbling block to you, right? I can see if it was a woman with breasts. He left, bro. What? Okay, see, I don't blame him for leaving. I yeah, I didn't kick him. him. He, 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 left a, he left a long time ago. I didn't have anything to do with it. I wanted see? him to ask a question. Dude, it's like, it's like yesterday. Oh, oh, Haiti, I have a question for you in a minute. Okay, it's like yesterday all over. Like, the guy was, like, railing about his persecution, how we won't let him talk, and how we're just, like, you know, keep muting him and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, dude, you have two minutes. Say whatever you want. And he started using his time to talk about the persecution. I'm like, dude, you've just been given carte blanche. Like, say what you want. So this guy's like, I just want to ask a question. I just want to ask a question. I just want... I'm like, okay, dude, what's your question? And he just wants to complain about my demon picture. Okay, Haiti, coming in here. Um, when you see my PTR, do you see that as a Christian promoting Satan? Because it's such an awesome image of Satan. Or do you see that as clearly a Christian mocking Satan because this Satan looks like a complete loser? Which one of those do you, yeah, do you see that PTR as? I mean, Nive explained it to you. I would say the latter, but I didn't even think anything of it at all. <laughs> Just like a funny I, picture, whatever. So it's it your heart. Honest, I what? thought it was a picture of Steph. <laughs> Welcome, Steph. I mean, that that's crazy, right? Like, I used to have the little Ask a Christian logo every day, and then I saw people with all your all your cool gifts and all your fun fun loving ptrs so I, I got in the mix and i started like you know changing my ptr to to encourage conversation and you know like promote some stuff that would get people asking questions <laughs> and ever since that day i just routinely get chastised for my uh for my ptrs yeah we're gonna counsel now, you one of these days nathan <laughs> now 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 really quick as far as uh <clears throat> the picture with nate i gotta tell you um me personally, me personally, I would not mock the devil. You know, I'm not saying that Nate should do this. This is only personal conviction, only because he is super prideful and will come at us with everything he has. I'm not saying that he can remove us from the love of God, this and that. But I'm telling you. Um, I, that's me personally. I don't, I don't mock Satan. Well, on one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, he, he, I'm probably not on his radar. He's probably busy like guiding the hands of people starting the fires in Hawaii. But, um, okay. So serious question, faster Mark, before we move on, let my controversy be rested with you, sir. So you're, you're about the most, you know, responsible, level-headed, um, you know, person on here. I know who I respect deeply. Mark. Have I got an issue with my profile pictures that I put up? Should I just, in godly wisdom, just put the Ask a Christian logo up and just call it a day? Or do you do you see it bad that I change my PTRs to some, some controversial things sometimes? All right. So when I saw the picture, I did a double take. and I, But I, I figured, well, it's just Nate trying to get attention or whatever. So, but, here, but here's something that I think is valid is um, a lot of times we do things for a certain reason and we don't necessarily know how others will perceive it. So even in criticism like by that guy that was in here, um, 
we can at least allow that, well, some people might take it that way. And so I might think, you know, hey, I'm glad to know that he, and therefore maybe some others, might not know about the meme you're describing, and they might take it the wrong way. And, and the verse that came to mind is, let not your good be evil spoken of. Like there's some things that might not be wrong in and of themselves, but yet because of how people perceive it, it can hurt our testimony or the testimony of the Lord. So I, I've had things before. I used to say certain things from the pulpit as a joke, and I found out that people were taking it a way that I didn't intend. And so rather than defend it, I just said, okay, I just won't say that one anymore, you know. <laughs> so I appreciate anyway. that, Mark. And I mean, I, I, to a point, like, you know, to, to, to a slight amount of defense, I, I do usually do that because I, I like memes make me crack up. Like, I wish I could just communicate my whole everything I do in memes. Um, so, like, usually I'll see a meme and, I'll, you know, Clubhouse only lets you get a little snippet. So I'll see the whole meme and think it's hilarious. And I'll take like the controversial part of that meme, like the picture usually, and I'll put that the profile to get people to ask, because then when they ask, as long as they're not a complete crazy person like that guy, um, as long as they like listen to it, then it gives me a chance to explain the meme and hopefully relate that to, you know, some sort of Christian, um, Christian thing. But I will, I will hear your, uh, hear your encouragement and advice. Nate, Nate may I say something real quick to, to you? Just I think Steph real... was. But, oh, yeah. yeah and, and then... no, absolutely. Just real quick, I was not looking at my phone when I heard the question. Uh, I got distracted by your PTR, Nate. What is that? And Nate, I had a Rolodex in my head of which horrible PTR does Nate have up right now that would elicit that question. And I'm running through my head, and then I open my phone, and I see it's that meme picture of Satan. I was like, what? That one? Yeah, of all the ones, right? Not the severed hand or... Yeah, that was... (laughs) No. Uh... Now, I just wanted to quickly say this. Now, if there was if there was more than one person having a problem with it, it would have been different. But this guy was completely on his own because that picture was not offensive whatsoever. The only reason I said what I said is only because I love Nate and I and just because my understanding of scripture and the way the devil works, right, with his minions, just like Nate is assigned angels to minister to him. Don't think for a second that the serpent hasn't assigned demons to him as well who study yeah, that him. Guy. You, 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 you know what I mean? So my, my whole thing was not because the picture was offensive, but only because I love Nate. I understand. Oh, you I have some it. horrible PTRs. That is a G. Oh, really? They are not that bad. Why do you put okay, up the yeah. one about Yaz Raff? Oh, it's about what? <laughs> Wait, which one? The one about what is the one about Yaz Raff? Yaz not happy. Yaz not amused. Yaz. Yeah, that's not the amused. worst one you got. No, that one's awesome. Wait, I've got a couple of those. Which one? Hey, Nate. Okay, hey, I Nate. may have. I may have a problem, guys. Yeah, go ahead. I I just just I'll just from from my point of view, bro. Like. Like, I ain't had no problem with it. I seen them talking about it in the um, comment section, and then the brother came up. I understand where you're coming from, but when you, you when you explained yourself, like what um, I think his name, Pastor Mark, was saying, it just it hit off differently with people, in, um, different than the way we intended it. And the reason why I was um, bringing that back up was because, like, I rap about the word. So, like, I, 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 I say things about Satan, too. And some people say, well, Glenn, you shouldn't mock Satan, and da 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 give so, us your best? Could you give us a couple of your best lines about that? 
Well, let me think about one. Um, nope. I mean, I could put my I could put my music in the what's name because a lot of my tracks is old. They older tracks. I haven't done nothing new in a while, but I put some, I put a couple of them in there for y'all. Um, and I and I posted that about the Nicolations in the comments too, for people to um take a look at that information. Okay. Our last yeah, thing, yeah, though, yeah, look, at, look, look at look at LSF. See, that is one I would not feel I would not have a good conscience about putting. Uh, I would not have a good conscience about doing that. But seriously, that's I don't know. Like I remember the other one. It was like a demon face, like in in pink and green, and it was said you know it was like a trans demon. And it said you know Satan per, per, uh, respects your pronouns, and I got a lot of flack for that too because they're like, why are you saying Satan per, per, respects your pronouns? And I'm like, well, glad you asked. That's why I put it there. It's not a good thing. It's like, right, like under the Christian perspective, it's like you have Satan that will, you know, presumably wants as many people in hell um, as he can get. So if if God is saying, hey, your ways are flawed, you know, your ways are sinful, repent, believe the gospel, receive eternal life. um, Even if you're saying, well, your pronouns, you know, are, are nothing compared to eternal life. So, you know, don't be offended submit to God and have eternal life versus Satan who hates God, hates you, hates himself, uh, wants you to spend in hell. He's like, oh, well, you know, I want to keep you away from Jesus. So sure, you want me to call you a certain pronoun? I will totally respect that all the way to hell. Um, anyway, <laughs> Haiti, I, I do this to be uh, cheeky. Is that is that your word? Um, uh, kind of, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I've just got to rethink this and get different variations of like crosses or something, except that then people are going to tell me why do I worship idols? Um, uh, you can't win. Can't we? There's Cancer no one. No. Oh, I did. Well. My, my logo with a cross and question mark. Someone's like, "Why do you worship Saturn? You're a fake Christian, don't you know that's a symbol for Saturn?" And I oh, looked it up, and it's not even close. It's like the symbol for Saturn is like sort of a, a weird cross with like kind of a, an abstract question mark facing a different direction. I'm like, dude, that is not the same thing. He thought it is. <laughs> uh, Steph, were you saying something? I think that I agree with Pastor Mark, but I agree with you as well. Sorry, I'm eating a cookie. I didn't think you were actually going to call on me. Um, I think that there's something to be, yeah. I think there's something to be said for accessibility, right? So sometimes, like, I've gotten in trouble in the past for like sending memes to my clients, like my multi-million dollar <laughs> clients. <laughs> and I had one broker who was like, "You can't like this." One client asked me to do something ridiculous, and I just responded with, "Ain't nobody got time for that meme." But this person had like a two million dollar budget, and my boss was livid. And I was like, "Look." Here's the thing, right, is that part of the reason that I'm so successful at what I do is I'm incredibly accessible and I'm also very informal. I don't make people nervous. I'm not intimidating. I'm really good at what I do. And then I'll share a silly meme and break the ice. And now we realize that we can just have the conversation. And 98% of the time that works. And 2% of the time someone gets super mad about it. And that's just the way it goes. I think that there are places for all types of evangelism. And I don't think there's anything wrong with using meme culture <laughs> to evangelize because it's breaking the ice. It's informality. It's, it's like a silly thing. Um, so I hear what people are saying, but for the record, Nate, I think it's perfectly appropriate for you to, to function the way that, that function, you know, do what you're doing. Oh, of course you'd be on my side. Slum memestress stuff. Yes. That memestress. <laughs> that is me. The memestress. Um, Oh, uh, let's see. Does anyone have a question about God or something? Jacob, you you were you waving your hand a long time ago? I thought you may have sort of had a question or something. Well, uh, I I did, but I forgot. 
Well, it's sort of related. Yeah, must, yeah. go ahead. Um, when, have, you, have you guys ever done something really bad and said the devil made me do it? And is that an acceptable excuse? Oh, oh I'm never sure I that. have. Probably not joking. Yet. Not yet. Because yeah. it's not time. He's not done with school yet. I think he's hot, Mike. Here you go, Steph. Oh, oh thank Do you not demote me and say the devil made you do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Lou sends a chat and says, can you talk about what Revelations 12 means? Uh, yeah, right for Haiti. Uh, remember that. Yeah, Albie, if you want to talk about Revelation 12, I think, uh, is that about the one with the dragon? Uh, anyways, let's let's do that next. But yeah, Haiti, I'm sure I've jokingly, never seriously, but definitely jokingly said, yeah, the devil totally made me do it. I, I'm just, I just know I've done that at some point. But in theory, that could happen, right? So, you know, uh, how can you tell uh, if someone's just being like, shirking I mean, their own responsibility? Maybe well, the devil being, did make them do it. No. Well, being as biblically accurate as you could, I'd say, sure, th as close as you could get to that is the devil's one one being. So whoever the devil is singularly messing with could have tempted this person to the point of, you know, doing something. And then they said, the devil made me do it. That, that's probably about as biblically close. If someone wants to say they're like demon possessed and devil is colloquially used for demons, then, you know, perhaps you could say that, but that's about as far down that road as we can get. Uh, Steph, you were saying something, memestress? Uh, no, LB. Yeah, oh, I, I, was you gonna, I was just going to answer uh, Hades' question. Actually, that was a very good question. Uh, it would be absolutely wrong, right, to blame somebody else for the sins in which already reside in your heart. Because, number one, Satan, Satan or... Oh, we hear you washing yourself or something. Is that what you're doing? Are you at a pool? Backsplashing. Um, like a good so it would, be, it would be absolutely wrong to blame someone else, even um, one of Satan's minions, right, for the sins in which you yourself commit. Because what you're committing is simply that which is already in your heart, and Satan looks to expose that. Right. However, like I said, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, "He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." Right. So the point in saying that is, it's very clear in Second Corinthians chapter five verse ten, where it says, in Second Corinthians chapter five verse ten, it says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, right? Whether good or bad. So what made David a man after God's own heart is although he sinned and he committed some huge sins, right? Even as king, he never justified the sin in which he committed, but always, right, repented. Like even when he uh, had a consensus, Right when Satan moved them for the consensus to do the consensus and number, uh, you know, Israel and 70,000 Israelites died, he took the blame for himself. Right. So that's always the thing to do. That's always the honorable thing to do. And if more people did that, you'll see more marriages saved as well. Okay. So it's okay to maybe say the devil tempted me, but. You can't say to say the devil made me do it. It's just shirking your own agency. 
Yeah, I mean, so number one, it's it can't even be like the devil tempted me because that's a stretch. It's not like you can see. You're being tempted simply because of that which already resides in you, right? Like, for example, I'm unmarried, okay? And if a beautiful woman who was naked stood in front of me, well, guess what? I would be tempted, but I'm not going to blame the devil. I pray that God's going to give me enough grace where I can have, you know, not, you know, commit uh, an act which would shame the name of the Lord, right? And one day be brought out. However, these are things that, you know, because I have a desire for women that can be used for something, you know, uh, evil, right? But I wouldn't blame, oh, the devil tempted me. No, I was tempted because that woman came in front of me and she was naked. But by the grace of God, I ran the other way. I just think it's a mm -hmm. cop-out for people. Well, yeah. I'm not saying a double attempt, but I just think it's a cop-out. Especially when 1 Corinthians 10 says, you'll never be tempted more than what you can handle, but God will always make a way out for you. So was Jesus tempted? So that's, that's another very good question. Now we have to discern between external and internal temptations. What do I mean by that? Well, here. Let's go and define what I mean in James chapter 1, and let's read 12 and 13, where it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he, has, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. But watch, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, while because sin resides in all of us, because of our first father, Adam, we received his nature, as Genesis 5-3 says, we are being reconstructed in the image of the sun, which was um, the one of the reasons why he came to this earth to restore that image that was corrupted by our first father, Adam. Now, Jesus, the last Adam, who's our federal head of a new humanity, we're being made into his image day by day until um, our death. But while Jesus was tempted... He wasn't tempted internally where he had a desire to do something um, that was contrary, especially because he came to expose that which is in man's heart, right? Which is the spiritual, not external. So if a homosexual came to me and hit on me, right? It would simply be an external temptation because nothing in me would desire it. Right. But if a woman then naked came and hit on me. Right. Obviously, there's going to be an internal temptation. So John chapter eight is an example of this. John chapter eight. If you read one through eleven, the uh, the Pharisees, they came to tempt Christ with what? With trying to get him to uh, 
you know, stand, stand up and accuse the woman caught in adultery. However, him knowing this and knowing that they were in sin, breaking the law, Leviticus 20, verse 10, while they were tempting him, he rose above it and ended up exposing them for their fault, for their uh, fallacy. So while Satan brought him into the or while Satan tempted him in the wilderness, there was nothing in him that internally desired any of this. But just as he says, like in John 5, 19, whatever the father does, the son can also do in like manner. So if the father can sin, the son can also sin, right? Now, I'll end it with this point. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to read, uh, nine, I'm going to read uh, 9 to 11. It says, 8 to 11, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ. Sorry, I was, I was getting a phone call. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents, nor complain as some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. Notice, when did they tempt Christ and he sent serpents? Well, that's Numbers chapter 21, if you read 6 to 9, right? Speaking of the bronze serpent. Final passage, and there's many more. Psalm 78, verse 40. Watch this. Psalm 78, verse 40, says this. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. 41, yes, again and again, they tempted God. They tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So God was also tempted in the wilderness. So we have to define what it means. <clears throat> What's up? Uh, yeah, Haiti. Well, it sounds like you're using... God tempted in the wilderness? Tempted in the sense of attempted to tempt him. Just like, I don't want to do the, you know, gay or straight thing, but like, I don't really like ice cream, right? So if you offer me ice cream, I'd just be like, eh, no thanks. I don't think I would call that me being tempted. You you might have tried to tempt me. If I didn't want it, what's the tempting going on? You know, so either he... I think it's more accurate to say they tried to tempt him, but they failed. Yeah, well, of course, because, again, it was all external temptations, not internal, where he desired to act contrary to the will of God, right? So when it says that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin, there, what it's actually saying there is that he experienced humanity, in every way. This is what it means also in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that he grew in wisdom. What does that mean that he grew in wisdom? How can God grow in wisdom? Well, God never was a man. So as a man, he was growing and experiencing humanity firsthand for the first time ever. And in that way, he grew in wisdom as a man experiencing humanity, being tempted in every way, yet without sin. Albie, that kind of goes against the omniscient, surely. You're saying God didn't know what, it, what it's like for a human to be tempted. 
Nope. No, what it's actually saying is for him to be the perfect mediator and judge so that he can intercede on behalf of us and have a standard of judgment in which all mankind will be judged one day. He became a man and set that standard and fulfilled the law perfectly. Therefore, because he did so, and was the most humble person to ever walk this world. He's exalted to the highest level as well and is able to truly not just justify sinners that repent, but also condemn those that reject his free gift of salvation. Uh, Philly, what's up, Philly? Actually, before you move on, Nate, if you don't mind, uh, I was going to say there's, I think there's, Sorry about that, but I think this is relevant. Um, I think sometimes we conflate. There is two types of knowing, right? There's propositional knowing, and which means I can know all propositional truths or God can know all propositional truths. But there's also experiential knowing, which means you know what chocolate tastes like or you know what it means to engage. And I think, in a sense, Jesus went through the knowing of the human experience and experiential component. So he experienced the world as we experienced it. So, but he knew what he knows what men experience experiences, but it's a knowing of a different kind. That's one of the thoughts. I don't. Well, I think that's fair to say, right? Because then you're. Well, well, I think that's fair because then if you're like, well, you're saying God don't doesn't know stuff, but well, no, it's like God's like there are some things God has just never done. Has God appeared as a fly on my wall right the second? No. So, I mean, if that happened, then you'd say, well, God is doing this for the very first time. It didn't mean he didn't know stuff. It doesn't mean he's not omniscient. It just means he's doing something that previously he has never done because he's never done it. But I, I wanted to get to Philly because he was like doing some stuff in or saying some stuff in chat. I was wondering if we've moved past that point or something. It, it was him or David that was saying something about like reading your Bible or I don't know, something for Albie. Did yeah, you have I, anything I, to say about that, Philly? Oh, yeah. And I was just going to make this one final point. And no one so is ever going to make why, a final point. No one will ever make a final point. <laughs> so, uh, so the reason, so the reason uh, why, again, he became a human is because it was humans that he came to restore, right? There's no restoration for the angels. So he came to give aid to us. In what way? Well, so that we can be reconstructed in his image, right, death, burial, and resurrection, because he experienced death on behalf of all men and raised, we too who put our faith in him will also die but be raised again, right? And apart from the Son of God coming to restore that image which was corrupted, there would be no way that we can restore ourselves or have animal sacrifices clothe us or sacrifice us or for him to destroy death, which is the last enemy. Philly, would you now like to speak? Maybe I'm just kidding. Maybe not. <laughs> Saint, you've been quiet for a really long time. Did you have anything you'd like to say? I just like to say I enjoy I'm enjoying taking in, you know, some things that you all are saying. So I'm still listening. Thank you. God bless you, Saint. All right. 
Anyone else have questions down there? Feel free to jump up on stage. Oh, he's typing in chat. Maybe he doesn't have a mic. I don't know. Uh, let's see. And I quote, this is a mess and they have no answers. I literally invited you on stage to speak, but maybe you, you cat has got your tongue. Um, okay. So I Are you don't know what else to say except you. There he is. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. What's that? I was asking if you'd like to put to voice what you're saying in chat. It's a little easier to have this conversation and well, if we can hear you. In my opinion, Jesus was a, uh, a human being that was a good teacher and he taught good stuff. Now, with the other stuff, walking on water and all, that, that's all mythology that was designed afterwards. Uh... What the first three gospels aren't don't even make them out as some special person. Uh, John and John, everything goes to like mythology. The revelations were um, were of a. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Let me finish. Uh, more of a revenge story for the Romans for persecuting uh, Christians which was a very small group back there, and they considered a cult. And uh, it just, Paul just, you know. Uh, okay. I don't know. That's my opinion. And a lot uh, of the God, like Matthew, he just goes to the Old Testament and uh, turns sure. things around. I mean, in the Old Testament, it, it's exactly the same words, and it's kind of easy to look back and change things around. So but that's I, my opinion. Okay, I hear what you're Thank saying. You. Sure, I sure. I don't have headphones, so it's kind of tough. Sorry. Okay, I hear what you're saying. So, I mean, I guess just a couple thoughts. I mean, I mean, since you didn't really have, have a question, I guess I'll just respond with thoughts. Um, from what I gather in, in chat, you know, you're saying we didn't have answers. It's just kind of opinion or it's whatever. And then you literally started by saying this is your opinion so i guess well you know we're in the same boat um i mean i would say we did give biblical based answers no it's just interesting that you would say we're just you know we're not giving facts we're just giving our opinions and then you would counter what we're saying presumably with gonna lead with some facts but you're like well it's, it's my opinion oh, okay so i'm contradictory um, I, I agree well, I mean, that's, that's fine. I mean, you can do whatever you want. And then I guess my other thought, because I think Albie had something he wanted to chime in with, but um, let's see, I guess my other thought would be, you, you said, you know, it was your opinion that Jesus was a okay guy. He had some good teachings. So yes. that part of the Bible, presumably you believe is true. Um, and and right. then the, the mythical stuff, the supernatural stuff, walking in water, the miracles, um, I guess that's where they would have lied. So um, what if Jesus wasn't a good guy, and what if he was all evil, and they just wrote the Bible and lied, just like they did about the mythical stuff? Um, why would you well, Why would you think that his his teachings are correct, but the magic uh, stuff is not? Because I'm taking him as a human person that had good stuff to say. He only had okay. the Jewish uh, Old Testament to draw from, and uh, you know, it, so, like I say, it's my opinion. And, you know, okay. Well, yeah, that's that's totally fine. I'm just making sure I've I've got you right. So so the parts in the Bible that were, um, you know, I was talking to Matt, and he's like, well, he talked to some other people. He didn't say call me out, but oh, you're gonna go to hell. What hell, Nate? There's like many have been devised over history. 
So are right, you yeah, just taking just... this like a placebo effect? That's... But yeah, I was just trying like to... More uh, comfort uh, and security? No, I don't give a crap about that. That That's kind of like, that's, that's something that, you know, in a world of offense, that's where I'll put my offense marker. If someone's like, you, you're just scared of dying. I don't give a crap about dying. If I honestly believed that when we die in this life, it's just poof, lights out, sign me up. I, that sounds like, sounds fine. If that's what I really believed happened. However, I just don't really believe that's the case. So, I mean, you know, as politely as I can, I'm just kind of trying to hold up a mirror so you can, you know, I don't want to like shove the mirror in your face, but I'm just trying to hold the mirror that, you know, we're, we're in the, the thing you're accusing us of, you were doing a little oh. bit. And, and then, yeah, and then, so I'm, we're both contradicting each other. No, right? no, I'm, I'm saying that to be polite. I'm saying that's what you're saying. But then the parts about the Bible, though, you're just taking, you're, I mean, you're literally taking like the words recorded as Jesus saying them as factual and as true, because oh, otherwise you have no idea. Hold on, hold on. So I'm, I'm giving you a lot of, okay, so I've given you a lot of leeway. I'm letting you talk, talk and stuff, and I'm trying to just wait, figure out when you're done to respond but then you don't repay me that same courtesy. So I'm just going to move you, say what I'm trying to say. So the point is, we're giving biblical-based answers, and the way I can confidently say that is you can go to the verses that we're constantly rattling off and check that. Um, you come up literally saying, you guys are just giving your opinions, and then you give us your opinion. Um, and then the next thing you keep interrupting me before I get to, I said it once, but I think it just went right over your head, is you're saying that you take the words of Christ as gospel and that, that the people who presumably wrote down lies for, for the parts of Jesus that he says is nice and do good stuff, well, all the evil liars that say he walked on water, they were evil liars then. But whenever they wrote the words of Jesus that are just normal stuff, they're totally telling the truth. Why would anyone believe any of that? Like, if you're going to believe, like, half of what Jesus says and think those same people who wrote half of what Jesus said correctly and then record the other stuff, like, through lies, that's ridiculous. You may as well not believe any of the Bible. That, that was the point I was trying to make. So either it's all bull and you don't believe any of it, or you believe it all is accurate, really co accurate, accurately recorded through eyewitness testimony, and what happened is what is written. Like, but to say you you pick and choose and believe some of it's really, really true and some of it's really, really lies, man, I don't even know, Albie. What what do you do with that? Yeah, so you took the words right out of my mouth because you caught the contradiction right there, and it seems it seems that. <clears throat> For him, he cannot deny the fact that Jesus is a historical figure. However, with the claims of deity comes claims of uh, judgment in which he would have to then choose between him being a God of his own life or submit himself to the resurrected Christ and by doing so, receiving so great a salvation but he's not ready to do that because he doesn't want to give up on the world and the lusts of the world because he has a love for the world. But I would encourage him, we would encourage him to, this world has nothing to offer you. Every person is seeking, seeking life. However, we're doing it in ways that are contrary to what the true God has uh, set before us, not just in the New Testament, but the Hebrew scriptures in and of themselves. All three synoptic gospels, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, all point to Jesus's divine nature. All three of them, in chapter one of each of them. I'm not going to go through them, but because even if I showed you, you wouldn't care, right? But nonetheless, though, nonetheless, 
it's out of the synoptic gospels where he's walking on water. And then you're saying that, oh, that has nothing to do with um, his, his, uh, his deity. But no, it does. Job 9, 8 says it does. Moreover, we have fragments because of what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? We have fragments of Mark 4, 28, which is found in cave uh, 7Q6 that dates back to AD 50. We have Mark 6:48, 7Q15 that dates back to AD question mark. We have Mark 6:52 and 53 that dates back to 7Q5, AD 50. Mark 12:17, 7Q7, AD 50. The point in this is the fragments that they found that date back to AD 50 reads identical to what we have today in our Bible. Not to mention we have Acts, Romans, 1 Timothy, 2 Peter, James, and 19,368 citations from the anti-Nicene church fathers, anti-Nicene church fathers, right, of the four Gospels alone, not including the epistles. Um, Chris, I just have a, well, I don't even know, Lou, Lou, sorry, I forgot about you, Lou. Lou wanted to know, um, wanted, I guess, us, someone to talk about Revelation 12, uh, Albie, and I guess for a more crusty view, Chris, um, I guess Lou probably wants to uh, wants you to talk about Wait, it in general, but I actually have something about that. I'm that I've more heard. crusty than Albie. I don't know. About you know, that. like you're you're more like you know that's heresy, burn witch. You're, you're probably more like that than Albie. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> you know but, he is. <laughs> okay, so I I just want to tell you something to see what either of you guys think. So I once heard something that, if true, is really interesting. I haven't added it up. I haven't really you know the trust but verify. I haven't verified it because you know. I just haven't. So what do you guys think? Someone was saying about Revelation 12, how they were relating it to a Christmas story, right? So I mean, there may be some stretches. You may say context, read a book. But the general idea was that Revelation 12 is sort of a retelling of the Christmas story because it was um, on a more epic scale. Because it was saying like, you know, in the great sign, Revelation 12, a great sign appeared in the heaven and a woman clothed in the sun uh, with the moon under feet and on her hand was a crown, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pangs and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared. Behold, a great dragon with the seven heads and the ten horns on its head. There were seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. And then it goes on. But the guy with the story I heard was kind of relating this to like the, the Christmas story somehow. And was saying like, you know, this, the 1260 days like coincides to, to like the amount of time, you know, like, like Mary was with Jesus or something like that. It was like 15 years ago. But my question is, do either of you have a, a remote clue what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard someone try to like retell the Christmas story using Revelation 12? Yeah. When you said uh, that, when you yeah, we will. When you said that, and you know the 1200 and you know 60 uh, days or 60 some days, it reminded me of uh, Muhammad because he was in a womb for almost four years in his mother's womb, as Hadith tradition says, and that's. <laughs> So it, it definitely wouldn't be Jesus because he had a. Uh... This was from a Christian, by the way. So I mean, I presumably, I mean, you may still say it's wonky, but presumably they were not going with the Muhammad thing. <laughs> it was very yeah, much no, a, of course not. Um, Christian telling. I, but but how much how much time do I have though, Nate? 
I don't know. No one else is in a hurry to ask questions. <laughs> Go for All it. right. Four or five. I'll try to be as quick as possible. Okay. So going through Revelation chapter uh, 12, right, um, in short, is uh, is Luke up? Uh, look up uh, he's, here. He's listening. Yeah, okay, he's listening. Okay. He's, yeah. All right. So it says here, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head, and a garland of 12 stars. Okay, number one, notice the uh, the imagery. Remember, the Revel- book of Revelation is saturated in Hebrew imagery. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. What does that tell you? This is what it tells you. Isaiah chapter 7, when you go to, uh, when you start with verse 10, notice what the Lord asked, tells Ahaz just so Ahaz wouldn't go to the Assyrians for help. He says, moreover, he says, Then Yahweh spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from Yahweh your God. Make it as deep as Shoal or as high as heaven. But Ahaz plays false. He has false piety. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Well, you know what? Uh, shame on you because that's false piety, That number one. Number two, And then in verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with the child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Right? So if you don't go to the uh, king of Assyria for help, because the king of Assyria will help you, but then he's going to turn around and come and destroy you, this will be your sign to show you that I am with you, that I am with you. Right? So ask me a sign as high as heaven, or as, or as low as show. So going back to now uh, Revelation 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the moon under her feet. On her head are a garland of 12 stars. Now this woman has a threefold repre- uh, representation. Number one, she represents Eve in the garden as the woman. Eve in the garden. Number two, she represents Israel, right? I'll show you what I mean. Number three, she represents Mary, the Blessed Mother. Okay, now let me show you how. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. Okay, let's go to Genesis 37. Watch this. Seven and on says this, or eight and on. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Notice his brothers. His brothers represent what? Israel, right? The twelve, the 11 tribes. Uh, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bow down to me. Why 11? Because Joseph is the 12th, and they all bow down to him. Well, who's the sun and the moon? So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, that perfectly represents Christ because no wonder David called his son Lord because not not only is he 
um, David's son, but he's also David's Lord. So going back to now uh, Revelation chapter 12, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Remember, she's in heaven, the woman, and there's 12 stars around her head. Now watch this. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign. Now, why uh, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth? Why is that? Well, that's because of the judgment given onto the woman in Genesis chapter 3. If you look at verse uh, 17, right? Genesis 3, 16. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. So now imagine the woman in Genesis 3 with the with the serpent. Okay. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. Obviously, the ten horns represents ten kingdoms. Seven heads represent the seven heads over those ten kingdoms. And seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Now, a lot of people think that these are uh, the angels, Satan's angels that he deceived. No, absolutely not. They're um, a third of what? A third of the stars around the woman's head. That's the point. Now, I won't have time to go into that, but if I break down Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob speaks about what will happen with the 12 tribes in the latter days, this will make all the more sense. But let me continue on. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, okay, so a third of the tribes, and threw them into the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. The rod of iron is the Psalm chapter 2 verse uh, 9 prophecy about the son. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Now notice, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. That's representing what? That's representing his death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Satan, uh, I'm sorry, and then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Why? Because the child was caught up into God's throne. He made an atonement to buy back the nations. And now we are the gospel, um, what do you call it? Gospel ambassadors as we preach peace between God and man. Right. So so the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. 
Now, where do we get this information from? Ezekiel 29 verse, uh, what do you call it? The ESV catches this really well. Uh, Ezekiel 29 verse, what do you call it? Two and three, son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against them and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. I will put my hooks in your jaws and make it the fish of your streams stick to your scales. And I will draw you up out of the midst of your streams. And so on it goes, right? Going back to, um, almost done. Going back to Revelation. Back to Revelation chapter 12. Now reading from uh, verse Eight, but they did not prevail, nor was any place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent, right? And that's the fleeing of the first century church, right? Made up of predominantly, um, you know, well, Jews and Gentiles. And the language that's used here is found in Exodus chapter 19 and it's covenantal language. In verse four, it says, you have seen what I did uh, what I what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's the point of what's being uh, said over there. But she's being nourished. Why and how? By the grace of the Spirit of God, in which that promise was given to us as a seal and guarantee that once we're born of the Spirit, right? We will be preserved and kept until the very end by the grace of God. But that being said, um, in in short, I don't know how much. Uh, I mean, I can go, you know, deeper. Oh, I think we're done. <laughs> okay, sorry about that, because it's a it's a really in depth. Because uh, yeah, because pretty much, just more. I guess one more minute. So so what happened is this, right? He was to. When he in his first coming to judge the nations, what nations? The principalities, Satan, who had rule over the nations. When he's lifted up, he will be Satan will be cast out. In what way? By virtue of the, um, 
you know, the strong man being bound up by Christ so that Christ can come and plunder his goods, which is humanity, and take them back to himself, reclaim the nations that were once given to Satan. So if Satan would have known that this would have been the beginning of the end of his kingdom, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory, as 1 Corinthians 2.8 says. So he has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over the principalities, the rulers, and the authorities, removing the handwritten uh, requirements that was of us and in condemnation of us by virtue of being lawless and breaking the law, removing that out of the way, covering us in his blood and bringing us back into his kingdom as for as Colossians 1, 12 and 13. All right, Lou, there you go. Wish granted. Don't say we don't answer uh, requests. <laughs> I appreciate that, Albie. Sure, sure. Sorry uh, to be long-winded. Oh, that's all right. I was trying to get everyone in. Uh, Marcus, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Oh, maybe it's a different Marcus. <laughs> I'm good. What's up? Uh, um, question on your mind? Yeah, okay. So I'm Christian Trinitarian. Um, this might be a very simple question, but it's kind of been on my mind for the last little bit. I just can't really conceptualize and I am a believer of free will, just because I don't think prophecy would be prophecy if we didn't have free will. But it really confuses me how, I don't know how to word this question, how God can play such a big role and take on such a charge in our lives, but it still be considered as free will. So if you can kind of help me with my understanding of that. That would be amazing. Okay. Albie, did you happen to get that the first time? Because yeah. I would ask him to... Okay, go ahead. All right. So a couple of things. N number one, uh, God, God's goodness, right, does one of two things. As Romans 2.4 says, God's goodness draws you to repentance. But also... God's goodness will do what? Will also harden you, which is why the warning is there in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, right? The Holy Spirit says, whose voice? The voice of the Son of God. Do not harden your hearts, right? So while salvation is coming to all people, not all people will receive salvation because there's no, you know, they don't see themselves as being sick. Now, we know that sin causes us to run from God and not run to God, which is why he, uh, Christ comes after us by virtue of his body being sent out into all the world to preach the gospel, right? And once, uh, once the gospel is preached, one of two things will happen. It'll either humble us in order to receive the good news in which then once we receive it truly, he then uh, baptizes us in the spirit and the spirit unites us to Christ and we're justified or uh, it'll harden our heart. Now we know that God is the one who gives us a new heart, right? But take a look at this Ezekiel 18, 31 and 32. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. 
For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Notice, get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. How? By turning to the only physician who can give you a new heart and a new spirit when you actually admit that you are sick and not healthy. So in short, I do not believe in total free will until we're made morally incorruptible, physically indestructible. However, we do have enough, and Romans 7 is proof of that, prior to, before regeneration. After regeneration, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says the flesh wages war against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. So it's not until we're uh, transformed from these lowly bodies and made to be like Christ, perfect, morally incorruptible, physically indestructible, and then you will be able to freely and perfectly serve God in all with all of our free will. But until then, God works with us um, in our um, you know downfalls through our sins and brings about His greater good, right? And in short, that would be my answer. And I can break down Romans nine. No problem. And John 6, any time of the week to show and demonstrate all these things. Does that answer your question, Marcus? Yeah, that does. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you. A simple, well, a simple way to say this is Jesus is a gentleman and he knocks and you have to open the door. He doesn't force us. He doesn't force himself on us. It's a choice. Good morning. Good morning. Did you have anything on your mind specific? or? God no, bless you, sister. I'm just listening, and um, it, the audio is better if you come up on stage. And thank you oh, for inviting Of course. Jacob, welcome back. What's up? Did you have anything else to say? I'm sorry, man. I'm eating something right now. <laughs> Give me a minute. Man, oh, sure. man shall not live by whatever you're eating. <laughs> Alone. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but he is God. Yeah, baptism, bapt, uh, baptizing, uh, baptizing infants. What, what do you think about? Unnecessary. All right. Well, I, um, here's the thing. I agree with uh, what the brother said, and you want me to piggyback off you, Nate? Sure, go ahead until Jacob is finished with his food. Oh, okay. All right, so speaking of uh, ba baptisms, right? In order for the our baptism represents what? Our death, burial, and resurrection uh, of Christ. Now, we know that there is no literal age of accountability in the Bible. However, what we do have are hints as how God makes an assessment or a judgment. So in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39, as an example, Deuteronomy 139, it says this, Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there to, to them, and I will give it, and they shall possess it. So notice, children have no knowledge of good and evil. Although they received a sin nature, it's not until that sin nature becomes alive 
as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, 7 through 11, let me pull that up real quick. Notice what it says. We all have cancer cells in us, but these cancer cells, they lie dormant in us until one day they come alive. And may God preserve all of your lives and your children's lives for a long time so you can be shining lights in this wicked and perverse generation. But with that said, Romans 7, 7 through 11, here's what Paul says. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking an opportunity by the commandments, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. So meaning that he was a child, he was an adolescent, he was a babe. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking an occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Right? So, so in short, I don't even know what, what was I answering here. <laughs> oh yeah, baptism necessary. <laughs> so, in order for somebody to be identify themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection, you'd first have to turn from your ways, believe on the Christ, right, and then receive, um, you know, that that salvation. But you would have to come to an age of understanding good and evil, right? So that's the whole point. When you see, you'll never see a child being baptized, right? Now, what's the point in saying all this? Well, because Christ came to give us a spiritual baptism. And that's the baptism that actually saves. Our physical baptism is our induction to the new covenant so that we can be partakers of the Lord's Supper in the midst of a body in which we judge not hearts, but you know, men by their, obviously their fruits, right? So yes, he's made an open confession, a public statement that Christ is Lord, right? And now you can take the Lord's Supper. But the real baptism that saves is the spiritual baptism. That's the baptism. Infant baptism for regeneration has absolutely, it like, it hasn't, there's no point of it. The reason why is because even if you die, you're going to heaven because you haven't committed evil to go to hell because you don't know good and evil. And in short, that would be the answer. In short, these are all like two hour sermons and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're great questions. I just, I'm trying to be as short as and concise as possible. What about the nature of Adam though? Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. Let me ask you this. Whose image were we made in? We're made in the image of Christ. Well, no. Well, no. In, 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 in the, Adam was made in whose image? God. In the image of God, in right? In the image of God, right? Yeah. All right. And then Adam sinned and broke that, uh, that covenant in which God had inaugurated in Genesis chapter 2, 1 to 3, on the seventh day, right, making a covenant with him, sanctifying it. 
and there was peace between God and man and God's resting place meeting with his first king and priest, Adam, was in the Garden of Eden. That was the throne room. That's why if you actually look at the temple and the design of the temple, you'll see that the design of the temple actually is um, the design of the garden, right? With the animals and the, you know, and the trees and all that kind of stuff. It's real neat. So he broke that covenant and received now what? A sin nature. And now all of his offspring, guess what nature they received? Genesis 5, 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now image means a reflection of his character, which is a sinful uh, nature. When Adam was made in the image of God, that image was supposed to be a reflection of God's moral character and nature and lawgiver, right? And Adam was supposed to be the first king and priest. Now we're being reconstructed by the spirit in which Christ has poured out on us into his image. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. 49 says, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Romans 8, 28 to 30 says, And we know that all things were together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be firstborn. 2 Corinthians 13, 17, 18 and so on. And that's the point there. See if that makes Um, yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's, yeah. that's a good point. I uh, I'm still debating on that whether or not to or or to baptize. All right, Albie. Anything <laughs> else on your mind? Man, this is like a marathon today. I've just been sitting here like doing some work and stuff like that, and I've just I just let this thing go on and on and on. Oh boy, that's a long day. <laughs> I apologize, Nate. If uh, I, I, play, I pray that uh, you know you and others found it as a blessing, but you know I don't. I don't mean to take over the stage and stuff because you know me. I'm always appreciative um, of all of the wisdom that God has blessed you with by the grace of God, and you've been a blessing to me for the past year and a half. Hey, Albie, I got a question. What, uh, do you go to church? Yes, I do. So, so I, 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 I go, I to, go to a non-denominational church, but don't let that fool you because even a non-denominational church is a denomination in and of itself. Of itself. But I, right. But I go to, uh, Maranatha, uh, Bible, uh, Bible church here in Chicago. My pastor is Daniel Batarsa. And I do serve in the parking ministry over there. And, um, you know, I'm, by the grace of God, in very good standings, you know, with the people of the church. It's been just a blessing in my life since I've been, uh, you know, walking with them the past three and a half years or so, three years. Do they baptize babies in your uh, 
in the non-denominal non-denominational church not in the, no not in our church we, we believe in uh you know adult baptism you know we need a person to be of age so that he can make that he or she can make that confession of faith and therefore be uh baptized in their identification with uh you know christ in his death burial and resurrection and the father son and spirit will have allegiance over their life that is that is what my denomination uh believes I'm going to step out here and say something controversial. I think you have to be, the, the Holy Spirit leads you. And if you feel some conflict about that, uh, baptize the baby. It's not going to hurt the baby. And it might give you peace. Now, I am from a, the Baptist denomination, and we don't baptize babies. But we do have uh, baby dedications where the parents dedicate themselves to be uh Good. So it's not so what the sister said, which was actually very, very wise. And I actually appreciate that we do the same thing. Um, do you know what a baby dedication is? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, my first, um, my first born was uh, dedicated. Uh, my other three aren't. But um, I'm I'm trying to see <clears throat> the significance in baptism, like if it's self, like if it's salvific or or not. No. I don't know where where no. it fall. We firmly believe it we is firmly not. Believe. I think everyone on the stage believes it is definitely not. Yeah. So it it look when we say baptism, what baptism? Because there is a baptism that is salvific. You'll find that in Mark 1, 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, not to mention Colossians chapter 2. 11 to 15 and that's spiritual baptism remember there's different there's baptisms different. In, remember there's different baptisms in the new testament you have the baptism of suffering that you'll find in matthew chapter 20 22 to 23 you'll find john's baptism of repentance in mark 1 4 you'll find the baptism of fire in matthew 3 11, which is judgment you'll find the baptism of the holy spirit Right in that same context of Matthew three eleven, but not to mention First Corinthians twelve thirteen, Mark one eight. You'll find Moses's baptism in First Corinthians ten two, right? The baptism of the dead in First Corinthians fifteen twenty nine, which is again the baptism of suffering as Christ suffered, and identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection, as we see in Romans seven one through five, Colossians two eleven to fifteen, and one of my favorite verses, as we all know this. And talk about limited atonement. Paul really limits the atonement here in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And just to be clear, yeah, yeah, we were talking about water baptism. I, I think we all knew we were talking about where the baby gets a bath. Um, um, but yeah, what are we said? What are we said to? But so the one where the one baby gets a bath, baby gets a bath, save. does not save. What's your uh, inter interpretation where he talks about one baptism, one faith, one Lord? Okay, so that's Ephesians chapter four, four through six, right? Now, now notice the context of 
the, number one, it just it blows my mind that oneness would ever quote this verse because you can clearly see the triune God here. But that being said, when you actually go to Ephesians chapter four and we read it four through six, notice it says this, right? Therefore, there's one body and one spirit. Why? Because the spirit unites you to that one body, which is what? The body of Christ, right? And we're being built up as stones in his, in the new temple. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, right? And again, what is that one baptism that he's speaking of? Well, you don't have to guess. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 will tell you, along with even Hebrews chapter 6, uh, it says, For as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free men, did you catch that? Now, even prior to this, in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, notice what Paul again does. He does this. In verse 4, he says, There's a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's one. There are, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, Jesus. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, and there's the Father. You see the parallel here? Yep. So, uh, do you believe, <clears throat> or I I have a, a friend of mine who, uh, he's uh, a Gino Jennings follower, and... Um, Sorry to hear that. Gino, Sorry to hear that. Gino, you know who Gino is, I guess? Unfortunately, of course Unfortunately, I do. of course I do. Okay, yeah, so he was telling me the other day I wasn't baptized because I had to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Yep. So, like, I, I honestly, I, I think uh, it doesn't matter uh, if he said, you know, if the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of Jesus or uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because it's one Lord. Um, no, it does matter, actually. No, it does matter, actually. Or, or it does Why do matter? I hear my echo? Why do I hear my echo? Is that yeah, me? Is that me? Yeah, he's going to be one. He's going to be one. Hello. Okay. Yeah, so I'm in a, yeah, I'm in a truck, and every time uh, I'm on, uh, you're on Bluetooth in the truck, so I'm All trying right. to put, uh, All right. myself when you speak. Okay, so let me quickly explain. Actually, number one. Okay, so what we have in the Christian faith is the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, and the doctrine of glorification. Although all three are distinct from one another, they're inseparable because if you are justified, you will be sanctified. And if you're sanctified, you will be glorified. What's my point? Because you love Jesus, and I see that you do, Jacob, your obedience now to him is to identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection so that you can start taking the Lord's Supper, right, as a member of the body. And start serving in the body and not forsaking the assembly of the saints, as Hebrews 10.25 says. Hebrews 13.7 and 17 says that 
let the one who rules over you do it with joy because he's going to have to give an account for your soul. You know what I'm saying? So don't keep your, uh, you got to join the body, not just to be served, but also to serve so we can exercise what love and sacrificial love actually is. So you do have to be baptized, right? Not for salvation physically, but for what? For your sanctification and make that public calling because Jesus says, right, that you're going to go get baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as the baptizer will baptize you in that name, one name, tri-personal, because it's the one God who's three distinct persons, while you're confessing Jesus as Lord. That's the point. So what's happening in Acts 2.38? When Peter said to them, repent each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying there is this. Confess Jesus as Lord, because there's not a single place in the book of Acts where you'll ever find a disciple or an apostle standing in water and simultaneously baptizing somebody using either the Trinitarian formula or the the unipersonal formula. You won't find that. But Matthew 28, 19 has absolutely no discrepancies whatsoever. Nothing in contention in regarding that. Matter of fact, we have the Didache that dates back between 80 to 140 A.D. in chapter 7 that shows and demonstrates that this was the way that they were baptizing. And a Didache means the teaching. So what's going on in Acts 2.38? Well, remember earlier, Peter's quoting from Joel chapter 2, 28 to 32, which is, he's quoting it in Acts 2, 17 to 21. And there was two things. Number one. Yahweh is pouring out the Holy Spirit. Peter identifies that Yahweh is Jesus in Acts 2.33 that pours out the Holy Spirit. But then also in uh, Acts 17.21, which is Joel 2.32, whoever calls upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. Well, they were, they, they, you know, the Jews were cut to the heart. What shall we do to be saved? They couldn't deny the fact that they saw the miracle of Pentecost and the speaking of tongues. They know. They saw God scattered the nations in Genesis 11 by their tongues. Now he's uniting the nations, right? Under what? Under one tongue, one mind, which is the gospel message. Which is why in Acts Acts 2.5, it says there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. So, and what was the miracle of tongues? It was this. When the 120 came down, these men and women that heard them They each heard them in their own language, meaning that Peter spoke in 20 different languages simultaneously. And everybody from the different nation that they came from, they heard Peter speaking in his own language. Right? Speaking in their own language. So you you believe uh, tongues is a thing uh, uh, till this? Not not in the way. Yeah. So so that's another... I don't believe that the gifts uh, have, I do believe that the gifts uh, signs that were given to the apostles, right? Like the handkerchiefs, you know, healing and, you know, all that kind of stuff that were miraculous miraculous signs. 
in order to build up the church. I believe those signs have ceased, right? As Paul makes it very clear in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13, that these were signs of an apostle, right? Why? For the edification and the building up of the church, which is how the church was being built up on prophets, not the prophets of the Old Testament, but the prophets of the New Testament, like Agabus, who comes in Acts 21, verse 11, and says, thus says the Holy Spirit. Or like in Acts, um, Acts 11, Acts 11, verse, I forgot, like, what is it, 21? 20, I, I got to see what it is. Where there were people from Jerusalem, Acts 11, how did I forget this? Acts chapter 11. Right. Hey, while you're looking at it real quick, I'm just gonna say I'm I'm done. I have been working like all all morning. I am finally done. I'm gonna take a giant break. So uh yeah, I'll be if you want to keep on talking, just you know, end it whenever you want. Uh have fun. But I, <laughs> yeah, I need brother. Nate needs a break. <laughs> God, God bless you, Nate. I appreciate all your sharing. Like it was it was good to uh because I, I can't work and do all this myself. So it was it was good to uh hear a lot of your input while I worked mostly in the background. But Everyone, continue. Hope you saved all your hard questions for now. Dump them on, Albie. <laughs> all right. All right. Later. Later. Later.